בשם השם נעשה ונצליח שיעור תורה Good to be in Miami, ברוך השם. We another shiur, we have another mishnah, we're going to start a new mishnah. This mishnah is, I mean, you could go and study this mishnah, you could study every word of this mishnah. From now until the end of the world, you're not going to finish. It all depends really on uh, how deep you want to go to. I know you say every mishnah is special because honestly, they uh, have to thank you guys for coming to the shiurim. And uh, because every time I prepare for the shurim, learn these mishnayot, it's so great. It's such pleasure. It's like a little bit of piece of Gan Eden. Because you, even I've gone over this before, every time it's like a new baby. If anyone ever had kids, even if you have two kids already, three kids, ten kids, it doesn't make a difference. The new baby is always special. That's Torah. Torah, the more you connect to it, every single time, even if you learn the same thing, Again, you learned it already a year ago. You learned it a week ago. You learned it uh, whenever. If you learn it, much deep. You go into it. Not just you read it like it's a you know, regular sentence, like a traffic light, a traffic uh, poster of some kind. No, you read it like much. You're trying to figure out, ooh, what, what does this mean? What does that mean? Start looking at the uh, Rashi. Start looking at Rambam. Start looking at all the commentaries with these geniuses. These holy people said about it. And you see how they get davar mi davar, how they take out mamash, ruach elokim from the word. Mamash, they take out like a, mamash, a piece of Hashem in each and every single word. It's unbelievable how they get this one thing. And it's, after you see what they say, it's like, wow, yeah, of course. Of course, that's what it means. Before, it could slap you right in the face. You wouldn't see it because we're not there. But that's the, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of, of the Torah. You learn it, and it's like, it's like having a baby without carrying it for nine months. And uh, this Mishnah is a Mishnah that's very special. Every Mishnah is special, but this one is special because this Mishnah applies to every human being on earth that wants to be a tzaddik. And that's the shield. This is probably going to be more than one shiur. Like we've had the last few Mishnayot were very long and we did a two, three shiurim per Mishnah. This most likely will be the same. Be'ezot Hashem. Uh, but like I said, we continue this, probably have, uh, write a book just about this Mishnah. You can write a whole book about this Mishnah. A series of books just about this Mishnah. Uh, which actually reminds me, Bok uh, Kivanta. Uh, before we start the Mishnah, we uh Hashem some developments. One big thing uh, is Bezat Hashem tomorrow is uh, going to be an official launch of our uh, newsletter. Uh, we're going to try to see if we could do it at least bi-weekly, like every two weeks, maybe even more often, maybe weekly at times. But it will have uh, different Chidushim, sometimes things that we talked about in this year, sometimes uh, things that are not. Uh, from myself, from uh, Rabbi Ephraim, from uh, Rabbanit uh, Kachlon, uh, and uh, always several other uh, guest uh, rabbis and Rabbaniot that uh, we work with, that we know for sure that these people are tzaddikim, these people have Yirat Shemaim, to give you different insights that are relevant to the week, to the month, to life. Generally, what we're going to try to do with this newsletter is try to keep it general and not specific for that week only. Uh, because uh, 
this makes it more uh, sustainable. If you, let's say, for example, you miss it, you miss one week, and you see it the next week, and say, ah, yeah, it's already a parashat Shavuot last week. It's never, that's the view. We're going to try to, B'zad Hashem, try to do it uh, in um, something that's general, general topics. Uh, most of it is going to be Hebrew, with the exception of my part, which is going to be English, and then B'zad Hashem, if we uh, get other people to join us with the English, we'll, uh, we'll add to it. Uh, and also, Bezot Hashem, in, uh, in Israel, uh, we're almost closed on an uh, agreement with one tzaddik that uh, may print it each time, uh, donate the, uh, the printing, he runs a print shop to, to print it and give it out in different places in Israel. In Israel. We're, we're looking for someone that's interested in partnering up with us to, uh, to print these copies, print the newsletter each time we come out of it and give it out. Uh, in different communities, kollels, bateknesset, and so on. Anyone that's interested, anyone that you know is may be interested, please uh, feel free to uh, connect us. It's a lot of zikuyah rabim in it. You know, in today's world, it's a, you have to come to Am Yisrael in every way possible. You can't just come to them with uh, lectures, because some people don't attend lectures. I remember I did a uh, event in New York one time, and... Uh, it was a Shabbaton. And one of the guys said, oh yeah, I heard about you and I uh, just never really watched anything. I'm like, oh, okay, you should watch it as a CD. I wanted to give him a CD. He goes, no, no, I don't, I don't listen to lectures anymore. I'm past that stage. So he did Shuba, and he, uh, now he learns from the books. Now he says, I'm past that stage. He goes, yeah, but I should. I'm like, oh, everybody can listen to a uh, lecture, even if you're telling me Chacham. There's no, there's no, uh, no such thing as past that stage. But either way, some people they don't listen to lectures unless they attend them. Some people they're not going to attend, they're only going to listen to a CD. Some people are going to listen on YouTube. Some people are going to listen on Torah anytime. Some people are not going to listen to not this one, not that one. They're only going to read it. So you have to send it to them in a uh, something that's readable. And with Hashem, that's why we uh, publish these different uh, newsletters. We also published a couple of books this year already. And it's actually, I just sent the payment. To Baruch Hashem, to a Rav Bar Kochba in Israel, Talmid Chacham in in Israel, that's republishing a uh, book from the Rabbi of the Chida, uh, one of the great Mekubalim, Rav Mizrahi, from almost over two hundred years ago, a book that's been out of print for a couple of hundred years. He's republishing it, Bezot Hashem, with a few additions. And insights in there, and uh, Bezat Hashem, it's going to come out uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So another Bezat Hashem uh, publication, Bezat Hashem. Um, and uh, there's a few movies in the works that Bezat Hashem are going to come out very soon. And a few other really big surprises coming right after Tisha B'Av. A few really big surprises will come out right after Tisha B'Av. So with that being said, we can talk about the developments and all the things forever, but key is to know that all of these uh, people that uh, donate to Be'ezat Hashem, they, the beauty of it is that you see dividends right away. You see stuff actually happening. And it's not like a, uh, oh, I donated $100, but I don't really know what happens. You know, it's, uh, it's I don't know what happens. I donate 100 bucks. I donate 1000 bucks. I donate uh, whatever I donate. And uh, yeah, you know, they posted some things online. Uh, I don't know. Nothing changed. You see, Baruch Hashem, Bezad Hashem, every week, every month, there's something new. More shuri, more videos, more movies, more books, 
more CDs, more projects, uh, more, more cube packages for free. A lot of things happening. We literally spend every single penny we can to make sure there's more Torah in the world. That's the, uh, that's the thing. And even the Avrachim, it's, it's some cute Avrachim that were much sweet people, much like, uh, like Dvash, that we work with in, in Yerushalayim, they want to give Be'ezot Hashem the Maaser. They barely make 500 bucks a month. They want to give Be'ezot Hashem. They go, why? Why do you want to give Maaser? Keep the money for yourself. We're barely struggling. He goes, no. This is Kodesh. This is like uh, Bet HaMikdash. Because this is the only organization we know 100% of the money goes to Torah. Unbelievable, Hashem, it's schut, schut to be involved, schut to be involved. Uh, and for all the haters that are always looking to, to count my money, like my, my whole life people like to count my money, you, should be, you shouldn't be too concerned. I haven't taken a penny from Bezat Hashem since day one. In fact, we put money into it, the little bit that we had. Because uh, people always say, oh, no, no, he's getting rich, that's why he's doing it. He's getting rich off it. He's getting rich off of people's donations. At least once a week I get one of these, one of these nice comments on YouTube or on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, no, he's getting rich. That's that always like it's money. So it's important to know what you're donating your money to. It's very important to know why you're donating your money to. And there's a lot of Torah. There's a lot of Torah that we have to share. Now, the shuim that we've had over this last couple of years of doing this series have gone deeper and deeper into Musal, deeper and deeper into talking about Yirat Shamayim, deeper and deeper into identifying the truth from the Shekel, the Emet from the Shekel, trying to learn how to determine what am I allowed to say, what am I not allowed to say, what am I allowed to read, what I'm not allowed to read, who I'm allowed to listen to, who I'm not allowed to listen to, because looks can be very deceiving. Sometimes you'll see a guy wearing a big talit and a big kippah and he has a beard and he's a priest in a church. In the Messianic Judaism church, which is all Christians. So you look at him, he looks like he just came back from the Kotel. In reality, the guy's not even Jewish. Sometimes you go to Bateknesset and you see the guy that looks the most religious, he wears black and white, and he has a hat, and he has a beard, and everything else, and you want to count for Minyan, you know, some of these Batekness, they don't have a lot of people, we barely get 10 sometimes, it's like, oh, one, two, three, okay, we got 10, no, 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 the rabbi says, no, no, we don't have 10, one, two, three, four, not to count the people, count the keeper. go, you count again, maybe you missed it, one, two, three, four, five, Baruch Hashem, 10 you can count, doesn't matter what age you are. My little daughter, my little baby knows. Count to ten. So you're like, ten? What about that? Because we don't have ten. We have eight. So you think maybe something's wrong. This happened a few times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Rabbi says, no, we have eight. Lama kvodarav. Why? What's the matter? Because you see those uh, two people? What, the two rabbis? He goes, yeah, the two rabbis. They're not Jewish. What do you mean they're not Jewish? They, they look like they just came out of the, the oil, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's oil right now. The Chabadniks. They got the tzitzit outside, they got the hat, they got the beard, they got everything. What do you mean they're not Jewish? Because no, they're not Jewish. So why do they look Jewish? Because they want to be Jewish. Okay. So what's the problem making them Jewish? 
Because, oh, well, they stole, uh, they like the clothing. They like the clothing. To change the clothing is very easy. But the ma'asim, the acts, the mitzvot, is a little more difficult. Why? One of them has to divorce his wife, who is a uh, a uh, advocate for Christianity. Another guy is homosexual. Another guy, uh, he's not ready to keep Shabbat. Another guy still lives in the uh, in the projects with all the goyim. Another guy is still is in love with eating pig. Another guy, and you have it in Lamash, in almost every community that I've been in, there's at least one or two of these people. They look more Jewish than all of us. But they're not Jewish. So today, more than ever in history, looks can be deceiving. Sometimes you see a guy, doesn't look like he even knows Kriyat Shema. Next thing you know, he say, you know what, you want to be, you want to be a uh, Chazan? Sure. Chazan, what a voice, what a prayer. You start crying. The guy is barely, doesn't even look religious. He has, you know, one of those keyboards that you got from a Bar Mitzvah. But he starts reading with all the kavanah, such a beautiful voice, such a beautiful prayer. So looks can be deceiving. Just because he's wearing jeans doesn't mean he's a goy. Just because he's wearing black and white doesn't mean he's a Jew. Now even though some of this stuff is hard to hear, it's a reality. It's the reality that we face. Today you can't just let your kids marry anybody just because they say they're Jewish. You have to have proof. Who's your father? Who's your mother? Who's the who's the rabbi? You have to find out why, because a lot of people think they're Jewish and they're not. Now, even more so, regardless of whether somebody is or isn't, regardless of somebody is secular or is religious, one thing that everyone wants, unless they're anti-Torah, which is a different person different shiur for them. Everybody wants to be a tzaddik. Everybody wants to be a tzaddik. Why? Tzaddik is like, wow. You, it's Moshe Rabbeinu. You think tzaddik, Avram Avinu. You think tzaddik, you think somebody that's a big deal. People kiss his hand. Every time he comes, he starts kissing his hand. Tzaddik, tzaddik. Everybody wants to be tzaddik. Why? Because you feel like tzaddik is closer to Hashem. Someone that's tzaddik, you feel like he's closer to Hashem. Why? Talks to him all day. If he's really tzaddik, not fake tzaddik. If he's really tzaddik, talks to Hashem all day through learning, through praying, through actions, and so on and so forth. Everybody wants to be tzaddik. You feel like the guy that's a tzaddik, he has all the answers. I remember when I first met Rabbi Ephraim, and we had a few conversations, and I ran to my wife, who was always a big advocate of me learning Torah, even though we weren't exactly close to Torah or mitzvot. And I told her, he has the answers. She was, which answers? I said, everything. She was, good. From now on, no one's allowed to talk to you when you're talking to him. She became my bodyguard. Every Thursday, 4 o'clock, the door to my office shut. No one's allowed to call me. No one's allowed to come bother me for nothing. Until I'm finished, many times the conversation was seven hours. Seven hours straight we're talking. You think this year is long? Seven hours here every Thursday. Every question you could possibly imagine. 
question that I didn't even know I had. You figure you do seven hour series of questions one time. You finish with all your questions. Okay, you have a lot. Two, Shirim, seven hours. Three, nine months. And it continues from Baruch Hashem till this day. But the point is, is that I came to my life, I told him, he's the one that has, he has the answers. He has the answers. For what? For everything. Why? Found him. This is the person actually looked it up. He checked it. He has a source. He's not giving me his opinion. He's the tzaddik I've been looking for. A lot of people came to my office. They pretended to be tzaddikim. A few times there were decent people, but not tzaddikim. A few times there were reshaim gmurim, pretending to be tzaddikim. But Hashem had mercy on me and introduced me to a tzaddik. So you feel that when you find someone that has the answers, you ask him a question about Allah, he has the answer. He has a question about business, he has the answer. You have a question about health, he has the answer. You have a question about emunah issues, different struggles you're dealing with. Can't find this, can't do this, can't do this. You, all these things, always there's an answer. Something special. Everybody wants to be the guy though. But we think, all of us, think that to be a tzaddik is impossible. It's only for certain people. You have to be born that way. If you're born a tzaddik, good. If you're not, you're like the rest of us losers. Well, what can we do? We're not tzaddikim. That's what we think. That's why Yitzhara wants us to think we're losers. The Yitzhara wants us to think we cannot be tzaddikim. The Yitzhara wants to make us think that to be a tzaddik is for somebody else that was born from, with the keeper inside his mom's stomach. He had a keeper on already, with the tzitzit. The Yitzhara wants us to think that to be a tzaddik, you have to go to Kola and Yeshiva for a thousand years. You have to, you know, sleep with the Gemara on your head. That's what the Yitzhara wants you to think. But sometimes the Yitzhara comes to you in a different way. Complete opposite. Yitzhara wants you to think, if you read one book, you're tzaddik. You came to one shiur, two shiurs, three shiur, you're tzaddik. You're good. No, no, I already know what you're going to say. I already know what you're going to say. I... One time I gave a shiur in Florida in uh, Booker Raton. And uh, they invited me to some house. They wanted to do a shiur over there. New group of people. And one of the people that was in the crowd was driving me crazy the whole time. Why? The whole time I'm talking. And as you know, when you talk, when you're in this position, you talk, you see everybody. You see everything. So it's also, as a speaker, you speak for a long time, you learn how to read the crowd. You learn how to read people. You see the comments. You see the face. You don't have to talk. I see the face. I see certain things. Oh, it affected him, affected her, affected this, affected that. Okay. I see certain things. People are falling asleep. Okay, I have to change. I have to maybe say a joke. I have to maybe say a story. You, you see people's faces. This one wasn't making faces. This one was making uh, a whole event. A whole event. What he was doing? Every time I would say something, he would go like this. The whole, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even exaggerating. I exaggerate a lot. This is one of those times I'm not exaggerating. The whole time, he's like, as I'm saying my point, he's moving his hands like it's, I don't know what it is. All I know is like, he's like, he's like, you know, like, a, like the guy with the, the choir, like this. He's like directing my speech or something like that. He's like, and it's bothering me, but it's also bothering other people. 
And then when I come up to the point, and he's like this, and it's like a whole thing. Imagine almost two hours like this. He didn't stop for a second. So, Hashem finished the shul. Then, you know, people come up to the end. And I, uh, I was very interested to see what this guy said. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I was, uh, everything you said, I just said it right before. I said, what? What do you mean you said it before? Because, yeah, yeah, I was talking to a few people before Yeshua. They, everything you said, I said the same thing. Everything. Everything you said. Everything I said, I said the same thing. Everything you said, I said the same thing. Everything I said, everything. I said, so how come you didn't give me the shoe here? Said, no, no, it was a different shoe. Everything you said, I, I know the whole thing. The whole thing. I know what you're going to say. So I didn't know it until I said it. You already knew before me. Navi. You know, this is the first time? You think it's the last time? You know how many times it's happened to me? People live in a, like a different world. Sometimes people have such a Yetzirah that the Yetzirah convinces them that instead of toiling for Torah and working day and night, they can get it from one shiur. They listen to one shiur, two shiurs, five shiurs, ten shiurs. They read one, two, three, four, five, ten books. Tzaddik. Tzaddik. Why? Because to look like a tzaddik, it's very easy. Because today, our perception of a tzaddik is based on his exterior. If he has payers, already he's 50% more righteous than the rest of us. If he's got a beard, add another 15%. If he's got a book in front of him, he's already at 90. He speaks Hebrew, he's 150%. Yeah, but he's Christian. No, it's okay, Moshe. And that's why, by the way, Rabotai, the most dangerous missionaries, Christian missionaries in the world, are Jewish people, and in some cases, Israelis. Because they fool the entire Christian world that they're actually really righteous and really knowledgeable because they speak a little bit of Hebrew. Now, the Christians don't know the difference of what's right and wrong in Hebrew. They don't speak the language. So if the guy tells them a certain word means something, they say, yeah, of course, you're, you just came back from Mount Sinai. Little do they know, the guy just uh, said that uh, glida is the same thing as uh, mitzvah or something, instead of ice cream. They completely, like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But they don't know either. So it's the fool leading the blind. So looks can be deceiving. Looks can be very, very deceiving. To be a tzaddik... Is not something that you can do in one day or one hour. It's a decision you can make in a second to try to be one. But to actually achieve it takes a lot more time. How much time? Depends how much effort you have. Now who among us can be a tzaddik? This is exactly what this Mishnah is going to tell us. Who can be a tzaddik? And how do we do it? Mishnah in Avot says the following. This is Hey Kafbet 5.22 Kol mi sheyesh beyado shlosha dvarim alalu hu mitalmidav shel Avraham avinu hu shlosha dvarim acherim ומתלמידיו של בלעם הרשע. 
עין טובה ורוח נמוכה ונפש שפלה, תלמידיו של אברהם אבינו. עין רעה ורוח גבוהה ונפש רחבה, תלמידיו של בלעם הרשע. מה בין תלמידיו של אברהם אבינו לתלמידיו של בלעם הרשע? תלמידיו של אברהם אבינו אוכלים בעולם הזה ונוחלין העולם הבא, שנאמר להנחיל אוהבי יש ואוצרותיהם אמלא. אבל תלמידיו של בלעם הרשע יורשים גיהנום ויורדים לבאר שחת שנאמר ועתה אלוהים תורידם לבאר שחת אנשי דמים ומרמה לא יחצו ימיהם ואני אפתח בך. As you've noticed, this is probably the longest Mishnah, as far as length of the uh, Mishnah itself, in the entire series so far. We'll translate. Whoever has the following three traits is among the disciples of our forefather Avram. And whoever has three different traits... is among the disciples of Bil'am HaRasha, the wicked Bil'am. So here, the Mishnah already starts, says you want to be like one of the Talmidim, the disciples, the protégés of Avraham, you need these three things. You want to be a Talmid of Bil'am, you need these three things. Depends, you want to be Tzadik, these three things are what you need. You want to be Rasha, these three things are what you need. Now, if you notice... It didn't say the disciples of Avraham Avinu have these three things. It didn't say that. What did it say? Whoever has these three traits is automatically a disciple of Avraham Avinu. Now it didn't say whoever learns a lot of Torah and does this and does this is a... Whoever is a Jew, whoever is a... No, no. It says whoever. Meaning, kol. Everyone that's on earth. Jews, non-Jews, this literally applies to everyone. If you have these three traits, that are Avraham Avinu's traits, you are a Talmid, you are a protege of Avraham Avinu. You're Tzadik. If you don't, and you have the opposite, then you are a disciple of Bil'am HaRasha. Even if you finish the Shas, the entire Gemara, Even if you go to Kolil all day, even if you have a beard that reaches the floor and a hat that reaches the sky, you will male, female, Jew, non-Jew, irrelevant. These are three foundational principles that either make you Tzadik or Rasha. But what kind of Tzadik? The greatest Tzadik or the biggest Rasha? Very, very extreme, fanatic type of Mishnah. We're talking about, you're either going to be Abraham Avinu, Or Bil'am, the worst person on earth. So those, what are they? Those who have Ayn Tova, which literally means good eye, which obviously we're going to describe what that means. A good eye, a humble spirit, and an undemanding soul are the disciples of our forefather Avram. Those who have an evil eye, an arrogant spirit, and a greedy soul are the disciples of Bil'am Arasha, the wicked Bil'am. 
Now, how are the disciples of Avraham different from the disciples of Bilam? This is kind of a strange question. What do you mean, how they're different? This is Avraham, Kodesh Kodeshim, Setan Torah. This one, uh, his, his wife was a donkey. What do you mean, how is it different? You see, what, he's, what, what the Mishnah is already telling us off the bat, looks can be very deceiving. Why? Sometimes the guy looks like he's a disciple. He looks exterior. He looks like he's related to Avraham Avinu, but in reality, he's Bilam's number one employee. So he's saying, what's the difference between them? Meaning that looks, the exterior, you're not going to be able to see from the exterior. You're not going to be able to tell the difference of who's who from the exterior. So what's the difference? The disciples of our forefather Avraham enjoy the fruits of their good deeds in this world and inherit Olam Abba, the world to come. As it is said in Proverbs 8.21, to cause those who love me to inherit an everlasting possession, referring to Olam Abba, and I will fill their storehouses, which is referring to this world, which of course we're all going to explain all of these things at some point in the series. But the disciples of Bilam Arasha, Bilam the wicked, inherit Genom and descend into the well of destruction. Notice that when it says Genom, it doesn't say they're just embarrassed, and it's not comfortable, and it's a washing machine. They don't say They say things that sound kind of painful. The wicked Bilam inherit Gehenom and descend into the well of destruction, as it says in Psalm 55, 24. And you, O God, shall lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Very long Mishnah, a couple of verses, but literally, you see right off the bat, this is something that if you if you dissect every single world word, you can change your life with it. So, first and foremost, like I said, the Mishnah starts with a very interesting way by saying, Kol mi Anyone, anyone literally meaning anyone, Jew, non-Jew, male or female, anyone that has these three things, they're going to make something out of themselves. So the Mishnah makes this introduction before telling us about the character traits themselves, saying that anyone has these three things. Instead of saying, these are the three things that they have, or, uh, you know, being a humble, being an undemanding soul, having a good eye is what you need to have in order to be. It says, first and foremost, you should know, you should know, anyone that has these three things is one of the descendants, one of the protégés of Avalavinu, showing us that there is this is a little bit different than the previous Mishnayot that told us about good traits versus bad traits. Because these specific three traits are so extraordinary if you actually have them or you try to attain them, they're so big that they are the foundation of all good in the world. You can build on top of these three to fix every single one of your mitzvot, every one of your midot. 
using if you have these three you can fix everything else if you have these three you're already in Ganeden in this world with suffering with struggles with ups and downs and so on and so forth you are in a different world you are in the world of the tzaddikim on the other hand if you don't have them it's not great but it's much much worse if you have the opposite because if you have the opposite it's the root of all evil so here the Mishnah is trying to explain to us right off the bat that in order to teach that Avram possesses these three virtues, that the disciples of Avram possess these three virtues, and in order to teach that the possessions alone are sufficient in order to reach perfection. As a student of Avram Avinu. And that all positive character traits are subdivisions of these three specific midot. So if you possess one of the, one of the, one of these attributes, and you lack, you know, you possess, let's say, something else that's positive, good. It's good you possess the other one, but that still won't make you a tzaddik by itself. Whereas if you possess one of these, you're already thirty percent of the way to being a tzaddik. Atkan divrei Rabbeinu Yona. Now, Tiferet Israel is the one that says that the reason why it says whoever, kol, is because even non-Jews can inspire to be considered followers of Avraham, as it's written in Genesis 17:4, Avraham was called the father of a multitude of nations. Who taught monotheism, the belief in a single God, and proper ethical development? He's the beginning of learning Musar. We learned from Avram Avinu. He's the one that was the first official Kiruv rabbi in the world, and he made millions of people do tshuva. But unfortunately, the Torah says that they all went off the derech, with the exception of a single Talmid, Eliezer. So, Chachamim say, wow, this must be a uh, horrible experience for Abraham Avinu. Must uh, felt sad that he worked on all these people, did tshuva, they come to the house, do this, do that, teach him, this, this. And then they go off to Derech, they go back to being idol worshippers, must feel terrible. He says, no, why? If he taught them the truth, and they kept it, good, he benefits, they benefit. He has more mitzvot every time they make a mitzvah. They have mitzvot every time they make a mitzvah. Meaning every mitzvah is now two, double. But if not, if they come, he tells them the truth. He tells them you're not allowed to drive on Shabbat. He tells them they're not allowed to be immodest. He tells them all the truth of what you're allowed to eat and what you're not allowed to eat. And they decide they don't feel like listening to him anymore. They started listening and then they stopped. Or they just don't want to listen at all. Whichever it is. All of their olamaba goes to him. So there's nothing that he needs to be sad about. Yes, in this world you're sad. You see one of your Talmidim, you know, going off the derech. It breaks your heart because you tried so much. Wow, I invested two, three, four, five years into this guy. I can't believe it. 
He started going out with the Goya. I can't believe it. He started eating shrimp. I can't believe he's doing all these things. I invested so much time with him. Hashem says, okay, you're going to feel a little sorrow in this world. That's fine, but you should know. You don't, shouldn't have any sorrow. Why? Every Jew has a share of the world to come. Kol Yisrael yesh laim chelek le'olam haba. kulam tzedikim. The verse that says, all of Am Yisrael have a share of the world to come. But this is the verse that's from the prophet Isaiah. It says, and your nation are kulam tzedikim. They're all tzedikim. To teach us who is, who is called Israel. Who's called Israel? Is it everyone? Is it like we think it's everyone? No. It's the tzaddikim are called Israel. The ones that are keeping Shabbat, keeping mitzvot, keeping tarat mishpachat. The ones that are keeping mitzvot, they're the ones that will be, that have a share of the world to come. So what happens about the rest of them? What about the, you know, Hashem, Hashem gave them, He made room for them in Olam Abba. What happens to their share? Everybody comes to this world with a ticket. Everyone is born to a Jewish mom, comes here with a ticket. To what? To Allah Abba. Now, if they keep mitzvot, when they come back upstairs, here's a ticket back. So, enter right over here, ma'am. Enter right over here, sir. For the Rav, Rabbanit, Ashrechem, Ashrechem, Welcome to Allah Abba. On the other hand, if the person does not keep Torah and mitzvot, he comes up to Shemaim and he gives him a ticket. He's like, I'm sorry, sir. This has been used already. What used? That's why it's in my hand the whole time. Seven years, I'm holding it in my hand. I kept it in a safe in my $200 million villa. No, no, sir. Somebody already used this ticket. It's like a bus ticket. You know, in the old days, they used to make, not like today, there's a digital. In the old, t- old days, you used to have the bus tickets, the tow- and they would make holes in them. They'll punch holes and every time you had let's you bought let's say ten tickets, and every time you used it, they took uh made one hole, and second hole, and third hole, after you made all the ten holes, that's it, you have to get something else. So now this guy came up to Shemai and says, that, look, all there's ten holes in it. That's it, it's been used. He says, By who? Oh, I remember that lecture you went, the guy that that guy from Wall Street told you keep Shabbat, and you said, No, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about, and you kept driving on Shabbat. Yeah, yeah, he used it just now, he just came here twenty minutes ago. You know, but he has a share. No, no, he got a bigger share now. He had a share, now he has a bigger share. Why? He told you the truth. He didn't want to listen. That's your problem. The ticket has to be used. We can't give it to you. So even though all of the people, all of the Talmidim that did Shuvah in the generation of Avraham Avinu went off the derech, Avraham didn't lose a cent. Why? He got all of their Olam Abba. Imagine getting a million people's Olam Abba. I'll buy we get one Olam Abba. He got a million. Ten million. But here we see that Avraham taught people monotheism. He taught them Musar. So by subscribing to this moral code expressed in this Mishnah, even a non-Jew can become a disciple of Avraham Avinu. Now a disciple of Avraham Avinu does not mean that they're a Jew. It just means that they are a Talmud, they're a disciple. They're righteous. They could say, I am 
living my life in accordance to Avraham Avinu. The truth be told is that people, most people, that want to invest all of their time and effort to do and fulfill this Mishnah is what we're going to talk about and become a disciple of Avraham Avinu, most likely will end up converting. And the reason why is because the more you learn about Hashem, the more you fall in love with Him. The more you fall in love with Hashem, the more you fall in love with His mitzvot. And you realize that how every single mitzvah that you do gives you an opportunity to connect to Hashem. Every single thing that happens in your life, you see it as an opportunity to talk to Hashem. So who wouldn't want more opportunities? Instead of talking to Hashem only a handful of times a day, now you can have you can talk to Hashem a thousand times a day. So someone that wants to be like Avraham Avinu, with the certain exceptional cases where it's impossible for a person to convert because of certain extreme uh, situations, at some point or another, these people will end up converting anyway. But nonetheless, this Mishnah specifically tells us that to be a disciple of Avraham Avinu can be done by a Jew and a non-Jew. That, of course, means you have to leave all forms of idolatry, whether it be Christianity or Buddhism or even believing in that your rabbi is a god, whatever it is. Idolatry comes in all forms. It also comes in the form of money. It also comes in the form of sex. It also comes in the form of sports. It also comes in the form of clothing. Some people are so into their looks they literally spend 15-20 minutes in front of a mirror in between bathroom sessions. I'm not talking about a self-conscious teenage girl that uh, hopefully is hoping to get married one day and so on. I'm talking about grown men. Grown men spend 20 minutes, a half hour doing their hair in the morning. You have nothing else to do with your life? So, it's also unhealthy for a marriage for the husband to spend so much time on his looks that he looks better than his wife. It's very unhealthy. By default, it'll make his wife subconscious, uh, self-conscious. Why? Because he spends so much time looking at himself, she feels that if he spends as much time looking at me as he looks at himself, ah, he's probably going to find something wrong with me. You know, once in a while you wake up, you have a little zit over here, you have a little scratch over here, you have uh, white hair here, you have a, you know, you look, sometimes you gain a few pounds, you lose a few pounds, yes, that. So she feels like if this guy spends so much time looking in a mirror at himself, what is he doing with me? He's dissecting me like a frog in a, in a biology lab. So by default, it makes the wife self-conscious. Second thing is also, a person that spends a lot of time, a guy that spends a lot of time looking at himself, it's impossible for him not to waste seed. Impossible. Why? He's so into himself, it's constantly running, the, the sexual thoughts are constantly running through his mind. So unless he has his wife available to him at all times and every time, and there's never a headache, and there's never a stomach ache, and there's never a this, and there's never a that, and she's all, it's only a matter of time before he wastes seed. The third thing is, is that he's not going to be able to protect his eyes. 
Because if he's into himself, if he's constantly looking at himself, he's also going to constantly look at everybody else. Why? Even if it's not because of looking for attractive people, he's going to constantly compete. Oh yeah, I look better than him. I look better than her. Oh, I look better than him. I look. He's competing with women. He's competing with men. He's competing with anyone that moves and doesn't move. Why? Because you get into yourself so much, you are evaluated. That's that's how you evaluate yourself constantly. So it's unhealthy for a man to be that way. I'm not saying that you should uh, let yourself go, gain as much weight as you can, as your body can possibly hold. You know, don't uh, you know? Don't take care of yourself in any way. I'm not saying that, but we in this generation have taken it to the extreme, where literally you have men have a nickname for it. They call them pretty boys. And there's literally there's men that spend a lot of time. They're grown men that spend an enormous amount of time taking care of themselves to such an extent that it's uncomfortable to be next to them. So here. We understand that in order to be a disciple of Avraham Avinu, we have to remove all forms of Avodah Zarah. Avodah Zarah doesn't literally mean an idol. Avodah Zarah means serving something foreign. Serving something foreign. So what does it mean serving something foreign? Serving something that's foreign to Hashem. It's not Hashem. Spending anything above the standard amount of energy, time, and effort on anything outside of Hashem. Anything not related to Hashem. It's Abu Dazara. If you spend your life chasing money and you never have time to learn Torah, you don't even have time to even basically read the weekly parasha like you're obligated to. And really you think that you're religious just because you keep Shabbat, you should know that money is your Avodah Zarah. You go up to Shemaim, you tell oh, here comes Shmuel, the, the idol worshiper. Shmuel is looking behind him. Maybe there's another Shmuel here. Who's the Shmuel? No, no, you, you. Come, come, Shmuel, come. Come. How many buildings did you build? Oh, I had uh, 15 buildings. How many companies? Oh, 27 companies. Oh, good. So all of those were idols. Why? Why idols? I, I give tzedakah. Yeah, you gave Tzedakah, good for you. It came from idol worship. You're not allowed to go to such an extent of working so hard for money that you forget about God. So chasing money to such an extent can literally be Avodazara. So to be a disciple of Avraham Avinu, first and foremost, we have to understand that it will require a lot of cleaning up. A lot of cleaning up of things that are foreign because the number one mission that Avraham Avinu had in his life was to destroy all forms of Avodah Zarah. His father, Terach, was the Walmart of Avodah Zarah in that day. He had all types of statues. And little Avraham knew this is all nonsense. His father just made them, took some clay, took some stones, took some stuff, put them together, put a face on them, and then he sold it in the store. And then people would buy them and then worship them. So Abraham would tell his father, Abba, what are you doing? What is this? What is this nonsense? What are you doing here? He's like, what? He's all gods. What gods? You just made them 15 minutes ago from the, from the ground. You took a few rocks, you put a few pebbles, you put it in his eye. He said, what are you doing? Be quiet, Avi. 
Be quiet, little Avi. Be quiet. Just make sure you sell them. I have to go take care of some business. Make sure you sell everything. So Avram was already an Ish Emet before he was an Ish. Before he was a man, he was already full of Emet. He knew this is disgusting. So what is he going to do? His father is bigger than him. His father is his father. What are you going to do? So you saw one of the women came. One of the customers came. He's like, oh yeah. And she brought a big dish of food. She goes, what is it? If my father's not here. She goes, no, no. It's not for your father. It's for the, uh, for the idol over here. For Buddha. What Buddha? Yeah, yeah. You know that, that big one over there. Yeah, I'm going to buy it at some point. But I wanted to bring him some food. He looks, you bring, you know my father made this, right? What are you talking about, father made it? Yeah, my father made it. I saw him make it. He took the clay, he took some rocks, he took some this, he took some that, he made it. It's not, it's not going to talk to you, it's not going to eat the food. She goes, be quiet, little Avi, be quiet. She gave him the food. She gave the idol the food. Avram was so disgusted with it, he couldn't take it anymore. He took a bat or something, some type of stick, and he broke every single statue. He destroyed every single statue, a million dollars worth of statues. Destroyed all of them. And his father comes home, and he sees that his entire store, a million dollars worth of goods with no insurance, destroyed. What happened? Avi, what happened? What happened? He doesn't know what to say. What happened? He goes, oh, you should have seen it, Abba. You should have seen it. Why? Why should have seen it? Because one of your customers, you know, the, 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 the woman, uh, Patricia. Yeah, Patricia from down the street. She came. She brought a nice steak with a familiar mignon and, uh, and some pasta and some vegetables and everything. She brought it. She brought it to the little guy over here. This little guy. This little little statue over here. He goes, what statue? You know, the rocks. There used to be a statue over there. Yeah, she brought it to him. But then the statue next to him said, hey, give me some. He goes, well, I'll give you some. It's my thing. My food. She gave it to me. Patricia made the food for me. Give me some. They started fighting between them. So then, Big Steve, you know, Big Steve, the one that you made last month, Big Steve said, hey, guys, enough. I'm taking everything. They all got into a fight. Steve broke everything, and then they, that's what happened. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do, Abba? His followers goes, wait, are you insane? These statues can't move. They can't talk. They can't eat. They can't hear. They can't do anything. What are you talking about? He goes, oh, so how come you worship them all? How come you worship them? Abba, how come you, if they can't talk, they can't hear, they can't, they can't eat, they can't do nothing, how come you worship them? This is a story from over 4,000 years ago, but it still applies now. How does it apply? We spend an enormous amount of time chasing what we think is the good of this world. Chasing money, chasing fame, chasing fortune, chasing this and chasing that. In the end, not a day passes by and we don't see one of these people that had all of it, but is telling you it's all worthless. By committing suicide, by falling to drugs, by trying to escape reality, Wait, you already have, you have a hundred million dollar house, you have a plane, you have a this, you have a that, you have everything everybody else wants. Why are you, go, why are you doing drugs? Why are you escaping reality? Your reality should be good. If you have all those things, then why would you try to escape that reality? If you have all those things, why are you committing suicide? 
like this guy Anthony Bourdain, like Robin Williams, like uh, many, many other celebrities that literally are almost like they're falling like it's, there's a plague in Hollywood. Every week somebody else commits suicide. If your, your reality, if it's based on material, you have everything you've always wanted. Why are you committing suicide? Why are you doing drugs? Why are you escaping reality? Because what Hashem is trying to tell us through these people is that if your reality is based on this material, on the value of your stock portfolio, on the size of your building, on the uh, grandeur of your house, on your parking lot, how many cars it has, and all of that kavod that you think people give you because you were in some movie or you achieved some type of uh, program or something, if that's your reality, that is 100% avodah zarah. It's 100% idol worship. And the problem with idol worship, the problem with idol worship is one day you wake up and you realize, wait, I'm connected to nothing. I'm connected to the, I've been feeding this idol that can't talk, that can't eat, that can't hear, that can't do nothing, that can't help me through my real life crisis, through my relationship crisis, through my any mental crisis, cannot give me a purpose, cannot do anything for me. And you realize you achieved everything and nothing at the same time. And you achieve emptiness. Just like Terach achieved emptiness at that point. So the big step that a person needs to first understand when they're going on this road, on this journey to be a tzaddik, is that you have to abandon all forms of idolatry. And idolatry does not only mean statues. It means literally anything that you're spending more than the standard amount of time and more time than you're spending with Hashem. Whether it be your looks or it be uh, a, uh, your money or your house or anything else. Now, of course, especially when it comes to women, they have to be pretty for their husbands. A man needs to groom himself. People need to live in a decent house. Even the Gemara says that one of the requirements for a person to achieve, the uh, have the ability to study freely and, and, and have a, the state of mind, the comfort of state of mind, is by having a pretty wife and a decent uh, house. So we, is there a contradiction here? No. There's no contradiction. We're not saying go be homeless. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying don't become a fanatic where your house or your car or your, all those other material things become your life. Get it, finish, move on. Now how do we know we're moving on? This is one of the things we're going to learn here from Avraham Avinu. So, before we get to that, we see that Avraham Avinu was not a, ne- a regular person. A lot of people lived in this generation. But Avraham Avinu was different from everyone. We see that he had everything, but he felt like he had nothing. When his nephew, Lot, was kidnapped, Avraham took Eliezer and went and beat all four kings and all of their armies Because they kidnapped his son, his uh, nephew. Now, one of the 
other prisoners, one of the other people that was subjected to the uh, wrath of these few, these four kings, was the king of Sodom. He lost all of his money, he lost all of his people, all of his people became prisoners, and he didn't know what to do with himself, he hid himself in, in a hole. So after Avram and Eliezer came and beat all of these kings, the king of Sodom, you know, you know saw all of his people freed, so he came to Avram, he's like, hey, Avram, take all this money, give me the people. Take all the money, you know, there's, there's a, uh, you know, these are, there's a lot of money that they took from me, now you, you, take all of it, take all of the prizes, take all the material, but just give my people so they can rebuild. The custom at that time was that this was perfectly legal. This was perfectly okay, it was a perfectly accepted custom. The Gemara Masechet Bava Kama 114a says, he was, Avram was perfectly fine taking all this money. There was no reason for him not to take the money. Except when he realized that if he takes the money, this king of Sodom is going to think to himself, maybe at some point he's going to say, oh, you know, you know Avram, yeah, you know Avram, everybody knows Avram. Yeah, you know that Avram that beat all the kings. They said, no, you know how he built his castle, right? I gave him the money. I gave him the money. Yes, after he built, I gave him the money. I financed it. So Avram tells the king of Sodom, I'm not going to take even a shoelace from you. Even a shoelace, I'm not going to take from you. Why? Because I don't want you to ever think, oh, it's Avram, I made him rich. And it wasn't God that made me rich. Take the money and take the people, take everything. I didn't do it for that. I did it to go and free Lot and free the world away from these evil kings. That's it. I did the will of Hashem. It had nothing to do with money. It had nothing to do with anything else. And I don't want this to turn into a Chilul Hashem. Avram had an opportunity to get a billion dollars. And he says, I don't want even ten dollars. I don't even want enough money to cover the cost of what I just did. All the weapons, nothing, and nothing. I don't want anything. Why? Because chash shalom, you're going to say to people, Oh yeah, you know Avram? Yeah, yeah, I, I donated a thousand dollars to his organization. What do you mean? You, how did you donate a thousand dollars to the organization? You're a uh, missionary. You're a uh, anti-God. You're a uh, anti-Torah. How would you donate? We don't want your donations. We want your tshuva. If your tshuva comes with donations, Baruch haba. If your tshuva comes by itself, Baruch haba. If it's just donations, no tshuva, no thank you, stay where you are. You can give to many other organizations. I'm sure they're going to take your money. But don't think that you can get it just because you donate, you get tshuva. Avram was telling us, Money means nothing. Now you would think, okay, listen, you just beat four kings, four armies, you and another person. At the end of the day, they're still flesh and blood. So you should walk around with like, you know, Gibor. Hey, don't push me. Why? I'm Avraham. Don't push me. Don't look at me like that. I'm Avraham. So then after Sarai Menu went to Olam Abba, Avram looked for a grave site for her. Now he already knew what he wanted because he used to pray at the Me'arat HaMachpelah. Avram Turuach HaKodesh knew that Adam HaRishon and Chava and Noach are all buried in this Me'arat HaMachpelah and he, the, the Midrash in Me'am Lo'el says he used to pray there every day. And he would see the holiness of the Me'arat HaMachpelah. 
Now, the owner of Me'arat HaMachpelah was a Rasha by the name of Ephron. Ephron, on the other hand, Rashi says on the spot, hated the Me'arat HaMachpelah. He saw it as a place of darkness and disgusting. He hated the place. He couldn't wait to get rid of it. So when Avram Avinu came to, to, to buy it from this, he should be as happy as can be. So first Avram comes, he comes to the people and he says, Listen, I need Gerfetoshav, Paul. Like, I'm just a visitor here. I don't have anything. You guys are all big people. You guys all have everything. I'm a nobody. I'm just a visitor. I'm just a visitor here. People are like, what visitor? You are Ishai Elohim. You are a man of God. Meaning even the, the strangers that Avram is saying, you guys are a big deal. He goes, what a big deal? We're a big deal. You're the big deal. You're a man of God. A man of God is among us. And they say that as soon as they saw him talk to Ephron, he said, listen, if you, can, if, you, if you actually like me, and you think I'm something, and you want to even at least help me a little bit, as little as I am, maybe connect me to the owner of this Marat HaMachpelah, this cave of Machpelah. They said that the, the, the Midrash over there says, that day, Ephron came to him, and spoke to him, on the spot, the entire city that voted, Ephron is the mayor. Ephron is the mayor. Why? Why Ephron is the mayor? Why is Ephron the mayor? He spoke to Avram. If you spoke to Avram, you're a big deal. Spoke to Avram. Now they became friends with him. He spoke to Avram. Came here looking for you. You must be something special. Ephron, you tell us what to do. So Ephron was uh, pretending like everything was good. He was pretending, oh yeah, yeah, it was between us. It's nothing. No, no, you can take whatever you want, no problem. And in front of everybody else, take whatever you want. But then, as soon as they were alone, he said, yeah, what's between us? 400 Jews. 400 Jews, by the way, is like $40 million. For a place that was like he, Ephron himself, thought it was like a, uh, a garbage dump. He hated it. So the, so the Torah asks, Chachamim asks, how is it possible that Avram Avinu went to pray over there and Ephron saw it like it's a garbage pail. Now you're not allowed to pray in a garbage pail. You're not allowed to pray in a place that even smells bad. If let's say you have a child and your child just uh, went number two next to you, you can't pray until you change him and, uh, and re- remove all the smell from the area. You cannot pray there. If, let's say, for example, you are sometimes people, they can't control themselves. You go to Bikinese and you pray, and someone, uh, you know, releases gas, unfortunately. It's happened many times, unfortunately, sometimes on purpose, sometimes is a uh, accidental. People can't control themselves. If it's on purpose, by the way, you should know, the Gemara says in, in a, uh, I believe it's Masechet Shabbat, beginning of Masechet Shabbat, your person's Rasha. If he does it on purpose, purpose person's Rasha. Let's do Tshuva for that. It's Bizayon Torah and so on and so forth. But someone accident, accident, it's still a problem, but not as big, it's not Bimezid. But if somebody passes gas, and you, you have to stop praying on the spot. You have to, even if you're in the middle of Amidah, you have to stop praying. You cannot pray if there's a bad smell. You stop until the smell is gone, and you continue. Because the Chachamim teaches that whenever your body 
smell is a bad smell, it actually hurts your neshama. It actually affects your neshama in a negative way. So, if Ephron saw the Me'arat HaMachpelah like it's a garbage pail, how is it possible that Avram not only saw it as a piece of Ganedin, but was willing to pay $40 million for it? How is it possible? We learn here that the beauty of Kedusha is not shown to the Rishayim. The beauty of something that's holy will not be shown. It's not something that a rasha, someone that's a bal chet, that has sins, he's not going to be able to see it. You could both be looking at the same picture. You're a tzaddik, and you're next to a rasha, unfortunately. You're looking at the same picture. He sees garbage pail. You're seeing the greatest painting that ever existed in the world. Now, you're not seeing something different. It's the same thing. He just can't see it. This also happens in our life many times. There's a lot of Musar that we can learn from seeing that the maidservant of Avram, her name was Hagal. And Hagal, after she had Ishmael, she started becoming very arrogant and Sarai Menu kicked her out. Now when she went, the Torah says that when she went into the desert, she couldn't find any water. She started crying to Hashem. She made sure to stay a far distance from even her own son. And the Midrash over there says she stayed a far away distance from him just far enough where she knew that his uh, bow and arrow would not hit her because she was scared that Ishmael would kill her too. So she stayed right outside of the range of his bow and arrow. Why was she crying? There's no water. So then Hashem shows her the angels and the angels say, oh, yeah, the well's right here. So Chachamim say, wait a minute, where, the, the, where, the, Hashem just made a miracle for her and just made a well? He goes, no, there's no miracle. The well was always there. She goes, how come she didn't see it? Because Hashem didn't want her to see it. It wasn't time for her to see it. She had to pray and cry to Hashem so Hashem can show us something that was right next to her. There's one time I was laying tefillin and some people do just Rashi, you lay tefillin, you do Rashi, that's what you're obligated to do. You put Rashi tefillin, based on Allah of Rashi. And uh, that's where you do the bracha. But Arab Vadya and many of the other G'dolei Ador said that it's also a very big ma'ala to also do Rabbeinu Tam. You should do Rabbeinu Tam. But when you do, when you lay tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam, no bracha. You're not allowed to pray. You're not allowed to say a blessing. If you say a blessing on Rabbeinu Tam, Tfilin, then it's Bracha Levatala, it's a sin. One time, Rav Avadya made a mistake, and he says that he asked one of his uh, students to give him a Tfilin. They looked the same. And he put the Tfilin, and he did a blessing. 
And then after he realized that the uh, the blood, the, the tefillin that he laid was actually Rashi, was actually Rabenu Tam, was actually Rabenu Tam. So he did a blessing on the one that he's not supposed to do a blessing. So his student said, "I'm sorry for the I'm sorry, I'm sorry." He's like, "No, no, don't worry, it's okay, no problem, everything's okay, everything's okay. You made an honest mistake, not your fault, it's okay." Student left, but the rest of the people explained that Rabavadia cried for the rest of the day. He did not stop crying for the rest of the day. Why? I just said Hashem's name without having the right to say it. Imagine. We say Hashem's name like it's uh, saying Stephen Joe. He said Hashem's name in a blessing. You're not supposed to say a blessing. He cried for the rest of the day. So anyway, so one time, I put on tefillin. And uh, after you, uh, different people do it at different times. I usually do it after we finish Amidah. I uh, take off the, Rabbeinu, the, the Rashi and I put on the Rabbeinu Tam. But the Tefillin, they have these little boxes to protect the Tefillin itself. So after I took off the Tefillin, take it one at a time, I took off the head and uh, I put it in a box and I'm looking for the, uh, the other box. I'm looking for the other box, for the, for the hand, because I know that after I wrap this up, I'm going to take off the hand one, and I need the other box to put the hand one before I put the other, because I can't just leave them out there. You have to give some kavod to the tefillin. It's Kli Kodesh. So I'm looking for the other box, but I'm looking, and I can't find it. It's like the ground swallowed it with Korach. Over here, over there, nothing. Don't exist. Now I can either continue uh, you know, f- losing focus on the prayer and everything that's happening, or I can say, oh, you know what, Hashem? When I need to see it, show it to me. And I happened to learn a little Musar right before I saw Baruch Hashem, that's what I did. I said, Hashem, I guess I, when I need to see it, show it to me. So I took the tefillin, I continued wrapping it. As soon as I finished, then I took off the other tefillin. Took off the other tefillin. And as soon as I took off the other tefillin, I don't know, the other one appeared. The other box appeared right behind one of my bags. I looked over there. I looked over there. It wasn't there. But after when I needed it, for sure, it was there. Meaning, when I looked for it originally, I didn't really need it. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. I wanted it just to know that as soon as I finish, I'm going to put it there. I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure that I have the money in the account when I need the money. But I didn't need it at that time. Hashem says, if you don't need it, I'm not going to show it to you. When I needed it, it was there. You could even learn Musa to change your life and emunah and good things even from just changing tefillin boxes. All you got to do is look. Hagal looked, she couldn't find. But when she needed it, she found That's how Hashem works. Hashem doesn't tell you, if you do all my mitzvot, you do all good, I'm going to give you whatever you want. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to give you what you need. When? When you need it. When you need it, I'm going to give it to you. Not when you want it. Sometimes when you need it and when you want it are aligned. Most of the time, not so much. Most of the time, we want to have the money in the bank before we spend it. Most of the time, we want the house, the huge house, before we have kids. Or even a husband, or even a wife. Well, I want to have a wife. How am I going to get married if I don't have a big house? Well, we're a big house. You have three rooms, we're just you. And the dog. What are you going to do with all three rooms? No, you know, I'm going to get married with the wife, I'm going to have kids. Woo! 
You know how long it's going to be before you find any one of them? The wife, who, who said you're going to get married? Who says you're going to get married? Why? Hashem's not going to bless me? I'm just saying. Why Why you believe that you're going to get married? Oh, the kids, who say, even if you find a wife, who says you're going to have kids? Who says you're going to have kids? Why? Hashem's not going to bless me. We'll have to have kids? Okay, let's say he does. And even if you have kids, you know how long it takes to have the kids and they grow up and they, before they need their own room, they're sleeping on your bed and they sleep in your room. Who needs all these rooms? Why would I need all? So, you have to understand. If you believe that Hashem can give you this money for this house that you don't need, why don't you believe in Hashem in other places too? This is what we need to know. We need to know that we need to believe in Hashem at all times. If Hashem is Hashem, He's Hashem all the time. When it comes to Parnassah, when it comes to Refuash Lema, when it comes to Zivug, when it comes to all the good, the bad, the indifferent, every single day, every single time. So, the Mishnah continues and it says, V'shloshat varim acherim, Whoever has three different traits, the opposite in essence, we're going to go over, of Avram Avinu, he is no less than a disciple of the wicked Bil'am. Now when we think of Bil'am, what are we thinking of? We're thinking of some guy that smells bad, looks bad, idiot, a fool, doesn't know how to speak. He slurs when he speaks. He doesn't. He probably has like some words coming out of his eyes or something. Like we're thinking of some guy that looks strange, acts strange, is strange. Maybe he lives in a garbage pail or something. That's what we think of Bilam. At least that's what I think of Bilam. I don't know what you guys think. When I think of Bilam. I think of some guy that lives in a garbage pail. That's what I think of Bilam. But it's false. Bilam was actually a navi, was a prophet. But not only a prophet, he was a very wise person. He was a genius. He wasn't just a professor for a freshman class in some uh, city university. He was the head dean of a movement, of a, of a, of a philosophy, of a mindset, of a lifestyle. A lifestyle of reshout. A lifestyle of evil. But Hashem instilled enough wisdom, enough power in Bil'am to be even greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. When it says, Lo kam bi Yisrael ke Moshe od, no one like Moshe was uh, ever raised in, uh, in Am Yisrael. Chachamim say, pay attention. It says in Am Yisrael, there was not another Moshe. But the rest of the nation there was. Who? Bil'am. Bilham had the ability greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Now this same Bilam was not some fool, even though he sounds like a fool when he's debating his donkey. But I learned this chidush from Rabbi Ephraim maybe four or five years ago, and I think it was actually I said it in the first lecture I ever gave. In New York, in Staten Island. Rabbi Zev, he said, why don't you say something? I 
I said, me, say something. What do I know? He goes, you study, you study, say something. They like to hear English. Go, talk. He gave me some koach to go do it. So the whole day I'm trying to, all Shabbat afternoon, I'm studying. I don't know what to say. I never did a lecture before. I just did a little small one in Israel. Like, uh, who am I to even say anything? It happened to be Parashat Balak. So I told them, if now, for example, you had, I don't know, some people had, a lot of people have dogs. I had a dog for almost 16 years. Now, for years, I was waiting for my dog to talk. He was a cute little dog. Really not that little, but to me he was little. But I couldn't wait for him to talk. I don't matter. He, he had a personality, and I'm like, no, he, he definitely could talk. He probably talks when I'm not home. He probably talks to, like, he has friends come over. They have a couple of drinks, maybe. He definitely talks. One time we had a, uh, we had a uh, party, and we put a tie on him. So you imagine this white dog with a black tie. For sure he talked. That night he talked with somebody. I was waiting for him to talk. But truth be told, if he ever talked to me, I don't think I would ever leave the house. Why? I want to know what he's at, what he wants to say now. Now that you finally found that this guy talked, you want to see what he says. But Bil'am, it says, Vayiftach Hashem et Hashem opened the mouth of the aton, the donkey. And made the donkey talk. And the donkey tells Bilam, we can't go this way. We can't go that way. Why are you hitting me? Why are you hitting me? Like it's complaining. It's complaining to Bilam, why are you hitting me these three times? Now Bilam, instead of, what, what, what does he do? He says, hit you. If I had my sword in my hand, I'd kill you. This is very strange. Why? It's an animal. It's a donkey. And it's talking. Why don't you just say, wait a minute, you talk? Why isn't that the first sentence? How, when did you learn how to talk? How do you know how to speak? How do you speak the same language as me? What else do you have to say? How you doing? I'm sorry. Hey, you know how much money I can make off you now that I know you talk? Put you in a circus. Everybody's going to pay $100 just to see the talking donkey. We can make a whole uh, TV show about you. I mean, you know how much money we can make? A talking donkey. Ah, Hashem gave me another gift. You make me profit and I have a talking donkey. What did he say to him? He says, if I had my son, I'd kill you. This is the strangest thing in the entire Torah. Why? Why isn't he saying there's something wrong here? The donkey is talking. Why don't you stop? Take a breather for a second. Wait a minute. Hey, you're, 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 last I checked, you're a donkey. Why are you talking? How are you talking? When did you learn how to talk? Have you been talking this whole time behind my back? Who else do you talk to? Do you have friends that talk? Is there like little donkey families that talk? I don't know. I have a lot of questions to this donkey. But Bilam has no questions. Bilam? Not only doesn't have questions... He continues the conversation like nothing happened. He actually has an argument with him. He has an argument with the donkey. He goes, huh? Why I hit you? I'd kill you if I had my sword. Why? The question is why? Why does Bilam just continue the conversation like nothing changed? Like reality did not change. Like Hashem did not write a special verse in the Torah, meaning Hashem wrote in the Torah something, it's not like every donkey was talking. 
We're not in some mystical land where the birds talk and, 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 and there's dragons flying in the air. This is not one of those movies. Donkeys don't talk, Rabotai. This one did. How come Bilam is the only one that doesn't realize this is strange? The answer is, what we said in that shiu, is that Bilam, with all of his wisdom, with all of his prophecy, with all of his power, with all of the things that he had, got to such a level of filth and disgustingness in his life from his deeds, from chasing money, from chasing kavod, from chasing sex, to such an extent that the donkey became his wife. He did not see anything wrong with the donkey being his wife. He got to such level of disgustingness, filth, you know, just for, when you fulfill your desires in every way, it's not a good thing. If every time you have a desire, you fulfill it, you're going to become a very sick person. Because it's impossible. Eventually, if a person, for example, if a person, every time he's hungry, he eats, he's eventually going to become the size of a whale. Why? Because most of the time, you're not really hungry. You just feel like eating something. If every time somebody wants to have be stimulated sexually and they do something about it, whether by themselves or with somebody, eventually they're going to become a sex addict. And eventually they're going to, it's not going to be enough. Their own wife is not going to be enough. They're going to need a second wife and a third wife and a fourth wife. And eventually the, uh, the, um, uh, the, um, Abin Ahmed Breslov says, eventually those people become homosexuals. The promiscuous people become homosexuals. Why? Eventually they fulfilled every single one of their desires. Every Tuesday is another woman. Every Wednesday is another woman. Every Thursday is another. Constantly their desires by themselves, with the woman, by themselves. Do, 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 do. Eventually it's not enough. They need something else. Eventually they go with the same sex. And eventually, even that's not enough. So they go to bestiality. And that's why, now you think, oh, bestiality, yeah, that's Bilam. That's four, 3,000 years ago. No, no, no. Right now, right now, right now, today, in the Christian calendar 2018, Jewish calendar, Baruch Hashem, 5778, there are over 2 million registered, meaning that are known for sure, 2 to 3 million people that have intimate, intimate relations with animals on a regular basis. On a regular basis, like every day, every night, regular basis. Regular basis. There are two to three million right now, right now, two to three million, that are Bilams in the world. And they see nothing wrong with it. In fact, just uh, less than five, six years ago, there was a Mechila Mikvotchem, a prostitution house in Nevada that was closed down. Why? But prostitution is allowed in Nevada. What's the problem? This one was the prostitute of sheep and other types of animals. And they were very, very busy. In Nevada, America. We're not talking about some uh, farmland in Greenland or something. Full. I'm not talking about in America. In America. In the United States. Civilized world, whatever it is. Asav. This is what we have right here now. There was actually a prostitution house, and they say they've been in business for years. Why are you guys bothering us? Been in business for 30 years. 
Business has never been so good, they say. In the interview, they feel nothing wrong with it. Why? How does somebody get to such a level of filth that he wants to be uh, intimate with uh, with a donkey, with a sheep, with a dog? With a... How? How do you get to such level of filth? It starts with putting yourself in a scenario where you say, I don't need to control my desires. In fact, I need to fulfill my desires. Every one of them. Once you start fulfilling every one of your desires, eventually it's not going to be enough. One woman won't be enough, one marriage won't be enough, and so on and so forth, and it just, that's how you become a disgusting addict in anything in life. That was Bil'am. Bil'am got to such level of filth because he fulfilled every one of his desires that he became married to the donkey. So when the donkey started talking, he saw nothing wrong with it. Why? He saw the donkey, me, same thing. Why? Why? Why do you think there's anything wrong with the donkey talking? Look at you. Look. What? 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 You talk. I'm a human. Yeah, donkey. What? What's the problem? What do you mean? Like he saw there's no difference. He got to such level of tumah. He saw nothing different about the donkey. That's a person that had the ability and the gift to be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu, showing us that if we get all the gifts in the world from Hashem. We can still be Bil'am. We can still be Bil'am. We can still be a donkey. How? You misuse those gifts. And that's why the Gaon Mivina said, the Midot Zekol Adam. It's all of you. Fixing your Midot, that's all of you. That's your point in this world. You don't fix your, you don't fix your Midot, there's no point of your life. Because even if Hashem gave you a good brain, you'll use it for the wrong thing. Even if Hashem gave you a good neshama, you use it for the wrong thing. You'll ruin it. By the time you get up to Shemaim, there's scars everywhere, there's break everywhere. The whole thing, the neshama is filthy and disgusting. And you should know that every single time you make a sin, it makes a, it makes a dent, it makes a scar, it makes a hole in your neshama. You show up to Shemaim and say, what is this filthy person? What is this filthy neshama? What would you do to it? Hashem gave it to you good, clean. What would you do to it? Why'd you ruin it? And that's the first busha before the trial. Because everyone can smell each sin's smell. Sins that they're, they're a distance from Hashem, just like we're not allowed to be next to things that are smelly, that smell terrible when we're praying. Because when we make sins, that's the sin smells. It's filthy. So you show up to Shemayim, you go up to meet the king of kings, you're like you just came out of a garbage pail. Imagine. Imagine you just you go for a job interview, you go for a job interview, and right before the job interview, you, you, you step into some dog poop or something. You're going to still go to the interview? What about worse? Right before the interview, they, they, uh, the, the guys from the garbage, they're collecting the garbage, but by mistake, there's some type of malfunction. The whole garbage falls on you. All of it. You have a peel over here, vomit over here, diaper over here. You, you turn into a diaper. You turn into a diaper and your future boss is, well, hey, I was going to hire you until uh, this happened. I'm sorry, we, 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 we just filled a position. 
We just filled up. We don't have an opening anymore. What do you mean? I, I came all the way from Alaska for the job. Came, I drove, I did, I that. Well, sorry, sir. Uh, you're just too filthy for us. You're just too filthy for us. We cannot hire such people. So imagine, now this is for a boss, this is for a job, this is for temporary money. Imagine you show up to the king of kings, you lived in this world, 70, 80, 90, 100 years in this world, you show up to Shemaim, you show up to the king of kings, king of kings is waiting for you, he's been waiting for you for thousands of years, your neshama is going, gilgul, 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 constantly because we haven't fixed. Finally you show up to Shemaim, Hashem says, what'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? I sent you with good neshama, you just have to fix a couple of small things. A little here, a little there. What'd you do? What'd you do? Why are you so filthy? Why are you so disgusting? What's the matter with you? Oof. Smell terrible. Get out of here. Get put something up. Go clean this guy. Where, which washing machine? The sixth or the seventh chamber of Gainom? That's why they call it washing machine, by the way. Because the sins make you filthy. So Rabotai... Bilam had the gift of all gifts. But his bad midot destroyed everything. His bad midot destroyed everything. Despite having great wisdom, the corrupt character of Bilam led him to immorality. Which is the key to overall failure, the key to evil, the key to becoming a failure in this world. In essence, what this Mishnah, what the Chachamim are saying right here, just to get started, we haven't even started with the key part of the Mishnah. Meet the biggest winner in history and the biggest loser in history. The biggest loser in history is Bilam. Biggest loser in history. Why? He was literally gifted the greatest gift of all. And he wanted to waste seed. He wanted to chase money. He wanted to chase kavod. He wanted to do all these different things that unfortunately many people are doing still today. So the Mishnah starts by telling us you should know whether you wear a black hat or not, whether you have a beard or not, whether you have a kisui rosh or not, whether you have a dress or not, whether you go to shul or not, you should know. If you have these three character traits that Bilam had, you're still a disciple of Bilam. If the only reason you're fulfilling these mitzvot is because you want to pretend like you're a tzaddik or a tzaddikah, you should know when you arrive to Shemaim, you're going to want to expect to go to Ganedin. And I tell you, we're, we're, we're sorry, sir. We're sorry, ma'am. Uh, yeah, first you have to go see your rabbi. Talk to him first, and then come back here. Wait, what rabbi? We're Avram. No, no, no. Your rabbi. The rabbi that you learned your whole life. Who? Bilam. Bilam. Yeah, he's in section 7 of Geinom. Go, you've been following his teaching your whole life. Because the highest, Rabbi Fahim said this, and I think it's genius. The highest... This is Mamash, this has this is Da'at Torah because a normal person cannot say such a thing. Cannot think of such a thing deep deep enough like this. The highest level of arrogance, 
highest level of arrogance, the highest level of pride, which is disgusting to Hashem pride, the highest level of pride is false piety. Is false righteousness. Meaning that you're righteous, you're righteous just to tell people you're righteous. Not because you're really righteous. You're tzaddik, not because you're really tzaddik, because you believe in Hashem and you love Hashem, you have a munai and Hashem, and so on. No, you just tell them, you see how long my prayer was? I prayed three hours. What'd you guys do? Two? Ah, three hours I prayed to Hashem. Three hours. You see my tzitzit? It's wool. It's wool. My it's wool. It's wool. It's on the outside. You, what do you have? Cotton? <laughs> do you even believe in God? You sit your jubilee clown? What are you? See my hat reaches the sky. What kind of hat you have? Okay, what do you have? You don't even have a hat. I don't even know if you're Jewish. It's a fake Jew. I wouldn't let my kids marry you. The highest level of pride is false piety. False righteousness. Why? Because you're so far from the truth, you care less about it. You care so much about what other people think. You forgot about God. A lot of people are like this. A lot of people are like this. And every single one of them, if they don't, do not do tshuva, they show up to Shamaim expecting to go to Gan Eden. And the Malachi Asharet, I'm going to tell them, you first going to have to go see your rabbi, Bilam. Bilam was also a rabbi. Bilam was also a rabbi. Rabbi is a teacher. Not a good one. He was a rabbi. The Mishnah starts off by teaching us Hashem gave you talents. Every single one of you here. Every single person watching. Every single one of you has a gift. Some people are able to speak well. Some people are able to draw well. Some people are able to write well. Some people have a creative mind to use for different reasons. Some people have a special soft neshama that they talk to somebody, they convince them without saying too much just because you see that they mean what they say. And so on and so forth. Each and every single one of us was gifted with something. Hashem says, don't think just because they give you a gift, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. Don't think that just because you know the truth, it's going to be easy. Because even the person that was gifted much more than you, and knew a lot more of the truth than you, he didn't fix his midot, he became Bil'am. If you don't fix your midot, you'll be one of his protégés. Mitzvot are tools that Hashem gave us to fix our midot and connect to Him. If our mitzvot become tools to show off, they're no longer connecting to Hashem, they're connecting to Bilam. Don't buy a big etrog for Sukkot to show off to everybody. Because if that's the reason why you're buying it, don't buy it, it's not a mitzvah. And you should also know that by doing things like that, you bring a lot of evil eye on yourself. A lot of bad luck to yourself. A lot of bad fortune to yourself. By showing 
things that you're doing and that you have, you're creating so much bad around you because the reality is most people are excited for your failure, not your success. There was a fire in um, New York a few weeks ago. Big fire on Shabbat. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, you'll find that there's an unusual amount of fires on Shabbat in a place that is Chilul Shabbat. Why? What's the connection? Why is there an unusual amount of fires happening on Shabbat in a place that is Chilul Shabbat? Because despite the fact that there are 39 restrictions on Shabbat, 39 melachot, 39 things that we're not allowed to do on Shabbat, only one of them is literally mentioned in the Torah, in the book of Exodus, that Hashem literally says, don't do it. And that is, don't light fire. Everything else, all the other 38 restrictions in regards to Shabbat, we learn from the Mishkan, all the things we did in the Mishkan, the, the Bet Mikdash of the desert, all the things we did to build it, we're not allowed to do on Shabbat. But the only thing that's literally stated in the Torah that we're not allowed to do on Shabbat is light fire. So Hashem says, if you're going to light fire on Shabbat, I'm going to light fire in your house. Why Why? Why am I going to light fire in your house on Shabbat also? Why can't it be on a Tuesday? Why can't it be on a Thursday? Why can't it be on a Sunday? Why? It's because on Shabbat, historically speaking, most people were religious until the last couple of hundred years. Most people were religious. And, un- you know, and unfortunately today it's not the case. But throughout most of history, throughout most of history, everyone knew you're not allowed to, if there's a fire on Shabbat, you're not allowed to turn it off. That means if your house goes on fire, a little kitchen fire on Shabbat, the whole house is going. You can't turn it off. So Hashem says, I'm going to light fire. You lit fire on Shabbat when you're not allowed to. I'm going to light fire in your house when no one else can take it out. Midah can make it midah. Measure for measure. Now, there was a fire in New York a few weeks ago. And one of the people that lives there told me it was a sight to be seen. He said, literally in a matter of 15 minutes, at about a quarter to seven, one house, a fire broke out, some type of accident of some kind or barbecue. I don't really know exactly what happened, how it all started. I don't think they've identified it yet. It doesn't really make a difference. But usually a fire with one house, it's one house, it goes on for a while, the fire department comes, you know, and uh, the uh, worst case scenario, the, the, the house is gone, that's it, finished. In 15 minutes, on Shabbat, in 15 minutes, three houses were burned down to nothing. Three houses. Bur- big houses. We're not talking about little tiny little huts. Three Houses each, six, seven hundred thousand dollar houses, big houses. Three of them. In a matter of 15 minutes, burnt to nothing. Burnt to gar- complete, the whole complete garbage. You can't have to destroy them. You can't, you know, three houses. And the fourth one was catching on fire. The fourth one was, on the side of it was catching fire. 
woman says she lives on the block. She said, all of the people came, but who came? Who came? She says, all of the people that hate them. And she said, I, I, I couldn't believe it, but I saw in their face, they were happy there's a fire. Like they were like saying, wow, I'm sorry. Wow, your house is about to get burned down. Oh, I'm sorry, your house burned down. No, she said, I saw it in their face. I saw it in their face. They were happy the houses were going on fire. They were, they were happy. It was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't believe it. That's what I was seeing. All the people that didn't live there, didn't care about them, all the haters, the enemies from different neighborhoods, whatever, they came to see, oh wow. Ah, see? That's why when you show off your stuff, what are you doing? What are you doing? You think people are going to say, oh, Baruch And their heart is saying, oh, uh, Tamut. They don't want you, they don't want you to succeed. It's not, it's not a smart thing to show people that. So, with all the things that Bilam had, all the things that Bilam had, he lost in the end. He lost because of his bad midot. He wanted to show off. He wanted to get attention. And he lost everything because of it. Now, the first trait that we learned from Avram Avinu, the Mishnah says that whoever has the, has the following three traits is like the disciple of Avram. So what are the uh, traits of Avram? First one, it says a good eye. A good eye. What is a good eye? So, the Rambam and Rav say that Ayn Tova, a good eye, is knack of being satisfied with your own lot in life. Meaning, being happy with your share. Whatever you have, it's good, Baruch Hashem. What do you mean, Hashem? You can't pay the rent. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. What do you mean, Baruch Hashem? Your car has three tires, not four. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. What do you mean, Hashem? You're 35, you still haven't got married. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. Why? That's what Hashem gave me, that's I'm fine with it. Now, to be happy with your share without Hashem is not possible. Why? Because just by default, if you don't have Hashem in your life glued to you, already you have the ultimate emptiness. So it's impossible for you to be happy. You have to fill spiritually and physically, you have to fill that emptiness with something. And that's what you're going to see a lot of people that are atheists or anti-religious or secular, generally they're very, very sad people. They're very depressed, they're very, uh, you know, just very sad lives. Why? Because they don't have the ultimate good in their lives. They can pretend like things are good. Oh, what? I'm good, I'm happy. What? I just built a building. Oh, so you're telling me that before the building you weren't happy then? So if the building goes down to nothing tomorrow, you won't be happy? So your whole, your whole happiness is based on these rocks? That's it. So if the rocks go away, that's it. You go away. It's all nonsense. It's all falsehood. You cannot attain happiness through material. It's not possible. And that's why the secular person is chasing his own tail and he'll never catch it. 
He's trying to become happy, become happy. She's trying to become happy, become happy. Maybe if she has a new boyfriend, maybe if she has a new husband, maybe if she has a new kid, maybe if she has a new cat, maybe she has a new bag, maybe she has a new dress. And she's constantly trying to attain happiness. But it's impossible for her to attain it. Why? Because happiness is something spiritual. You cannot attain spiritual satisfaction with material possessions. It's impossible. It's impossible. So someone says to you, I'm thirsty. All right, have a steak. No, no, I'm thirsty, buddy. Have a steak. I'm thirsty. All right, have some bubble gum. No, I don't want the bubble gum. I want, I want a drink. Okay, have, have a... Is, why don't you want to take this menorah? How do you get this nice, beautiful menorah? No, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. All right, have a seat. Are you going to give me a drink? No, no, have a chair. No, no, I'm sad. I wanna, I'm going to die right now. I'm like, I'm like a camel in a desert. I haven't drank in six weeks. I need a little bit of water. Oh, I want you, what do you think of the view? What the view? I'm thirsty. I want to drink. What do you think of the sky? You're trying to satisfy. The guy is thirsty. You're trying to give him anything, everything but what he needs. That's a person that doesn't have a shem. A person doesn't have a shem. He's trying to satisfy his thirst. He's trying to satisfy his thirst for happiness through material possessions. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's not even a square and a round hole. It's simply putting nothing in the hole. This is why you see major suicides happening, big stories, big headlines by people that apparently have everything, but yet have nothing at the same time. That's why you see that most of these celebrities live awful, disgusting lives full of divorce, psychiatry, uh, drugs, all types of other addictions. And if any time you look at the personal lives of any one of these celebrities, any one of these rich people, it's literally a walking disaster. You can't say a single, wow, you know what, what a success story. That guy is a winner. Like even people, like for example, that this guy that, um, what is his name? The uh, the guy that was in jail for many, many years. The guy, huh? No, they, they, they uh, famous? yeah, famous. The guy who was the president of the country. No, no, not Jewish guy. It was in, a, uh, in Africa. Mandela. Mandela. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. Now everybody's like, wow, what a tzaddik, he's so humble, he's so... You know he's a terrorist, by the way? That's why he went to jail? But he wasn't some tzaddik, really. He was a rasha, he was a terrorist. He got thrown in jail because he was a terrorist. Not because he was, ah, what a nice guy. Like people just think, oh yeah, he's suffering his life, he went to jail for 20-something years, that makes him a good person. No, it just makes him a criminal that went to jail and served his time. That's all it does. That's all. It's nothing. It's not, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. The way they personify these people, it's completely false. So anytime you see like the real details of the bios of these people, you see it's completely far from the truth. Like for example, one of the people that I thought my whole my whole career, I thought was like like role model, was Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. When you see him on TV, he's like this nice old man that is they personify him as like, oh, he's, even though he has 
I don't know, a zillion dollars. It's $80 billion. He still eats a cheeseburger every day with Coca-Cola from McDonald's. And uh, he still drives a $50,000 car. He still lives in a house that, uh, you know, he built, I don't know, 50 years ago. Makes him look like he's such a modest guy and such a nice old man. And he's not really after, uh, you know, money and so on and so forth. But when you actually look at his own words, forget other people, his own words, his own words, his whole success was one big failure. What? Failure of controlling his anger. Failure of controlling his ego. He succeeded a little bit and made some money early and he wanted to start a business, he wanted to start something big and he wanted to buy a company called Berkshire Hathaway, which at the time was a textile company. He wanted to buy it. It was a private company. And the owner initially agreed. But then he reneged on a deal. He didn't want it. He didn't want to buy it. So what a normal person does, if you want to buy something, and they don't want to sell it to you, what do you do? You walk away. Simple. You walk away. You don't want to sell it to me. Okay, fine. I'll buy I'll find something else. Somebody else. I'll, I'm sure I can find somebody else. Take my money. <laughs> somebody else is going to take my money. Warren Buffett couldn't, wouldn't have it. No, I said I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. And he forced the guy through a uh, through a hostile takeover to sell him the company. Even though, now this happens all the time in business when there is corporate raiders, these different people that are big investors, and they want to take over a company, so they buy a majority stake in the company to take control. This is a part of business. But that's because these corporate raiders know that the people that are running the company are not actually utilizing the company to its full potential. It's worth more than what they're doing. That's that's what taking over a company is. That's the purpose is. You see, let's say, a company that's worth, let's say, a hundred. But the guys that are running it are running it so poorly that the market only thinks it's worth 50. So you know that if I go take over this company, I'm going to fire this guy, fire that guy, take this product out, take start this one, start that one, and I'm going to show the market it's really worth much more. I'm going to create more value. That's the point of taking over. But that's because you see value in it. Here with the Warren Buffett story, it had nothing to do with value. Why? Because once, he, once the guy reneged on the deal... Warren Buffett found out that the textile company wasn't even worth what he was paying for it. It was actually a horrible company. It was a horrible company. It was a horrible business deal. And actually, in, in reality, it was like chesed from Hashem. It was kindness from Hashem for the guy to walk away from the deal. He was trying to help him. Hey, guy, he's, he's actually going to take you for the money. You're losing money here. It's not a good investment. But Warren Buffett, his ego was too big. No, no, no. I said, yes, I'm going to do it. Yeah, but it's a bad deal. doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. Why? doesn't make any sense. Until this day, he writes a letter every year, annual uh, letter to his shareholders about how they did with the company, Berkshire Hathaway and so on. Until this day, he always says, always says in his letters, until this day, the worst investment in my entire life, out of all the investments, and he lost a lot of money in his investments and made a lot of money in investments. Most of them obviously made money. That's what he wore Buffett. But the point is, he had investments he lost billions in. He had investments that made a lot of money. He said, the worst investment of all in history that I've ever made was the original company. Was the, was the original textile company, Berkshire Hathaway. It was a bad investment. Until this day, he said it's a bad investment. It's still a bad investment until now. But the ego is too big. 
because he made other investments. Because he made other investments. Not that original company was a bad investment, but he made other investments that uh, ended up being good. But that original investment was purely based on ego. So, we're almost done because it's already long and we'll barely even scratch the surface on this Mishnah. But uh, we'll finish. We'll just try to do this Ayn Tovah and then the rest of it we'll do Bezat Hashem next week. So what is this Ayn Tovah? So the Rambam and Rav both say this Ayn Tovah is being happy with your share. Being happy with your share is one of the secrets to happiness in this life. Once a person knows that everything that comes from Hashem is good, automatically it changes his perception on the things around him. Automatically. Now, Rabbeinu Yonah actually says that Ayn Tovah is not just happiness with your share. Ayn Tovah is generosity, being large. Generosity. Somebody says, hey, yeah, listen, I... Um, having some tough time with uh, finance. Oh, here, here, hold on. You don't wait for him to ask. Oh, here, here. Start taking money out. How much you need? Thousand, two thousand? How much? You have it, you give it. Meaning, somebody has, and he already knows if he needs, I'm the guy. Let me know if you ever need anything. Not like one of these people that says a lot and, and does little. That's Reshaim, the, the, the Mishnah says. Reshaim, Tzadikim say little, do a lot. Like Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu, when the angels came, he thought they were just a bunch of Arabs. He didn't know they were angels. So he says to them, listen, please, maybe I'll just give you guys a little bit of bread. A little bit of bread. What kind of enticement is that? A little bit of bread. Tell me how you give me a steak. Tell me you give me a big feast. No, no, just a little bit of bread. A little bit of bread I'll give you. And then what happens? He makes, he, he slaughters an entire cow, an entire bull for each one of them. Not a little bit of bread, an entire feast, a feast of kings. So what's the story? Why? Why? Why'd you say? You shouldn't have said. Listen, guys, stick around. I'll make a whole feast for you. I got a bunch of cows, a bunch of bulls, a bunch of this, a bunch of that. I'll make you every type of meat you want. Shuarma, this ma, that ma, everything you want. I'll give you. Well, I'll give you a little bread. Why? Because tzadikim, tzadikim say little, do a lot. They don't say no, no. Listen. Once I, uh, once I close this deal, for sure I'm donating a million dollars. For sure I'm donating a hundred thousand. For sure I'm, I'm going to be your biggest donor. Those people who say I'm going to be your biggest donor, they never donate a hundred dollars. Why? Because already, if you really, if you really mean well, if you're really looking to do something good, you don't speak much. You don't speak much. Why? The way of the righteous is say little, do a lot. Say little, do a lot. Avraham Avinu. Say little, do a lot. The Rashaim do the opposite. They say a lot and do little. They say a lot and do little, and unfortunately, many people say a lot. Ooh, wow, how much they say a lot? They say a lot, but when it comes to giving, oh, go ahead, chavod, chavod, you do it. Go ahead, go, I'll give you the mitzvah. I'll give you, no, no, no. The rabbi, you do the mitzvah. No, no, no. It's okay, I do enough mitzvah, don't worry. I do enough mitzvah. You do it, go ahead, give, give. It's good for you, it's good for your neshama. I'm trying to help you out. I'm being like Rebbe. <laughs> I'm trying to give you the mitzvah. I'm trying to give you the mitzvah. Do the mitzvah. When it comes to doing the mitzvah, no, no, no. But where? You said you were going to give. Yeah, yeah, no, I give somewhere else. Where? Somewhere else. You know, I'm one of those, I don't, like to, I don't really like to share. I don't really like to share what I do. So, uh, you know, where did you give? You give your own bank account. What did you give? So, first and foremost, a person needs to know is that 
he needs to be happy with whatever he has. If he has a lot to give, he should give a lot. If he has little to give, he should give a little. Don't wait until you have a lot to give a lot. Because maybe you'll never have a lot. Or maybe the reality is Hashem wants you to be happy with what you have to the extent where you give the little that you have. To Him, you giving $10 because that's all you have is like the guy that's giving a million dollars. No different. Hashem knows how much, he has, how much you have. He gave it to you. Generally, the biggest donors are the ones that are not very rich. People that are not very rich tend to be the biggest donors in general. Most of these big organizations or small organizations, whether it be Bezat Hashem or it be Le'avdin, uh, Red Cross or it be Torah Anytime or it be Aish or any of these companies, most of them are funded by small donors. The 50, the 100, the 200, the 500, that's what funds them. Yeah, of course, there's the occasional guy that donates a lot more money, but the company, all of these big companies, all of these non-profit charities and so on, they run off of the small people. Why? Because the small people care. They care to give the donation, not necessarily their name. Whereas the big guy, he gives 100000 and he spends 200000 publicizing that he gave 100000 So, the first thing that a person needs to know is to be happy with whatever he has. The second thing is, Rabbi Yadna says, he has to be generous. He has to be generous with whatever he has, both financially and emotionally. Don't be so cheap with compliments. You see something good, you see one person does something good, say, good for you, it's a nice chidush, you look good, good for you that you have a house, shrecha, I mean, you will bring a lot of luck and a lot of success in this house. Don't be one of these people that's cheap with compliments. You see something good, be happy for them. Have a good eye. Have a good eye. Don't be one of these people that's a miserab. You see somebody else building a house, like, hey, what a thief. Why do you say he's a thief? Why do you say he's a thief? How do you know he's a thief? Not a ganav. Ow! How do you know he's a ganav? Why? Look what kind of house he's building. Okay, so maybe he made money. Like, why does he have to be a thief? Why does he have to be a thief? Why? Because you're jealous? Because you don't have it? So that's the thing. That's, that's the thing. People, literally, they have such a bad eye, they can't see other people succeed. It bothers them. It eats them up. This is mamash, like a, a disease. It's a disease. It's, there is a very strange disease in the world that's actually mentioned in the Gemara. It's a flesh-eating disease. It's still around to this day. Someone can get a chedak. It's a certain uh, germ, certain bacteria of some kind that literally, slowly but surely eats all of their flesh. And there's no cure for it. There's no cure for it. Watch, you see people missing body parts. But you start seeing their bone, see missing their cheek, missing uh, fingers. I'm telling you, I'm not joking. You can see something. Horrible, 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 horrible. It's like this in the world. A lot of things in the world exist. You guys got to teach you. A lot of things exist in the world. These things are horrible. He knows, Fidel knows. Fidel knows what I'm talking about. Horrible things exist in the world. Horrible things. Jealousy is worse than all of them. Jealousy is worse than all of these diseases. All of these cancers, AIDS, flesh-eating diseases, all of them. Jealousy is, a, is no cure for it, not only in this world, in the next world. 
At least if somebody suffers in this world and dies, Hashem Yachem, and cancer, or some other disease, okay, it's this world. If you're a tzaddik, you're a tzaddikah, you have Olam Abba. But if you're jealous, you have no Olam Abba, you have no Tchiat HaMetim. Why? You're jealous, you think that you're a kofel. When you're jealous of a person, that means that you're saying, Hashem made a mistake. He should have gave you the big house and not him. He should have gave you the wife and not him. When you're jealous, you're kofel ba'ikah. You're kofel in Hashem. You're heretic in Hashem. When you see another person succeeding, saying, Hashem, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. I must, but be happy. And if you're not really happy, pretend to be happy until you become happy. But don't be jealous. It's a disease with no cure. It's a disease with no cure. You're never going to win. You're never going to win being jealous. All you're going to do is eat yourself up. Some people, every time their neighbor gets a new car, they have enough curses to write a new dictionary. But when they see the guys, yeah, wow, mabruk, mabruk, nice car. In reality, in their heart, they saying, hope you die in a car crash. Why? Because he has a nicer car than him. Because he has a nicer car than him. People are disgusting and jealous. One time there was a guy bought a new uh, Jeep. And on the Jeep it says 4X4. 4x4. Next morning he has a brand new Jeep. He's so happy about his Jeep. Next morning he sees somebody scratched into the car equals 16. The guy, we scanned, just bought this car, $50,000. Somebody just scratched it. You know, he said the 4X4 is like 4 times 4 equals 16. Oh, what an evil person. He takes it right to the car lot. Says, you got to paint it. You got to fix it. He goes, yeah, it's $600. Okay, $600. What am I going to do? I can't have this. Okay, so he fixes $600. Gets the car a few days later. He's happy. Baruch Hashem. Goes to sleep. Wakes up the next morning. Scratch equals 16. Kaparat Avonot. The guy is like, I can't believe it. What a miskin, what a poor guy. All I want is just to park my car. What do you want for my life? Why do you have to scratch my car? He takes it to the lot. Again, same thing, $600. He goes, what should I do? He goes, obviously this guy really hates you. So why don't you just do yourself a favor? Instead of every day, you come here, every other day, you're spending 600 bucks. Just let me put, instead of fixing it with paint, let me just put some other pieces of metal that look like the numbers, and I'll put the sign, equal 16. Because you know what? You're a genius. Chidush. Nice. Do it. How much? 1,000 bucks. No big deal. Go. Do it. No problem. Okay, so the guy, a couple days later, comes back. He has 4x4 equals 16. And he comes home, he goes, all right, I'm finished. I'm, I'm done with the dilemma. I'm done with his evil neighbor. He goes to sleep. He wakes up in the morning. He sees the whole side of the car. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Why? Some people are so jealous they cannot let another person enjoy a moment of their life. Some people are so jealous they cannot let another person smile without saying, ah, there's probably something wrong with that. He stole it. He took it. He this. He that. Motsi Shemra. And by the way, the shoe that we did on Sunday, we saw that the root 
the root of Lashonara, what start Lashonara, is jealousy. Why? You don't say Lashonara about somebody you're not jealous of. If the guy is dead, no one says Lashonara about the guy that's dead. Why? He's not competition anymore. If the guy has three heads, he's got. The, and you're not saying lashonara about the guy has three heads. He's sick, me skin. If the guy is blind, you're not gonna say lashonara about a blind person. You're never gonna see lashonara about Stevie Wonder. You're never gonna see lashonara about Stevie Wonder, even though he didn't exactly was a tzaddik exactly in his personal life. Most of the stuff he said himself, people didn't say anything. Why? The guy's like this, and he's looking, and you feel bad for him. He's blind. He's blind. You feel, even though he's very talented and he lived a very full life of so on and so. Forth. The reality is you feel the guy's blind, he's like half dead. He's not enjoying real life. The guy that's poor, you don't say, uh, you know, uh, poor, you know, Lashonara about a poor guy. Why? He's already suffering enough. He's poor. He's scared. He lives in the garbage pail. Why? You don't say Lashonara about him. The dead guy, the blind guy, the poor guy. So what do we learn from here? Also, the guy doesn't have any kids. You don't say Lashonara about the guy that doesn't have any kids, Gemara says. Who do you say Lashonara about? Say Lashonara about the guy you're jealous of. Why? It's the only one that threatened you. It's the only one that's threatening you. The new woman that moved into the neighborhood, the new teacher that all the kids like, everybody says Lashonara about her. The new rabbi that everybody likes, everybody says Lashonara about him. The guy that's popular gets people to do tshuva, no end of Lashonara. Why? Because you've been your kila for 20 years, even the ants, the ants, are becoming Christians in, the, in, the, in, the, in, your, in your church slash synagogue. The ants are becoming Christians from your boring teachings. But the guy is actually making people do tshuva. Yeah, no, he's probably making money out of it. No, yeah, he's probably this, he's probably that. No, nah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Why? Because you're jealous. Because you're jealous. You don't say Lashonara unless you're jealous. So next time you catch yourself feeling like you have an urge to say Lashonara, check yourself. Check yourself. Am I saying Lashonara? And by the way, 99% of the time you talk about other people, it's Lashonara. So that's how you know if it's Lashonara or not. It's 99%. Meaning, anytime you mention somebody else's name, oh, you know, so-and-so, stop yourself, Lashonara. You should know that before you say it, ask yourself, am I jealous of this person? They have something that I want Ask yourself. And you'll see, if you look deep down inside, you'll find something. You'll find something that really you're saying it, not because of that specific thing, but because of some other reason. There's a hidden reason deep inside. But that also comes because you're not happy with your share. Now, the Sfat Emet interprets this term of Ayn Tova as having a positive outlook. Having a positive outlook. And the Tiferet Israel says, what is this positive outlook? It's having, giving Hashem kaf That everything is for the good. Now, you know how they say there's 70 faces to the Torah, there's different opinions, but you'll see the way that the Chachamim think is very differently than us. And you'll see from here that the Losotel, these things don't contradict each other. They all agree with each other. The fact that Rambam and Rav say that you're supposed to be happy with your share in life does not contradict what Rabbeinu Yonah says, you have to be generous. You can be happy with your lot, even if it's not a lot, and still be generous. The fact that the Rambam says that you have to be 
happy with your lot. And Rabbi Yonah says you have to be generous. Does not mean that having a positive outlook contradicts it. In fact, it complements it. But this last point I learned from Rabbi Ephraim, from the Ben Ishchai, Chidush, on the Gemara that I read a few times, but I never got it. That's the difference between a Chacham and me. You read this thing a thousand times, you're not going to get it. Until you see it, once you show the ones the Chachamim show it to you, it's like, wow, it was always there. Yeah, you just didn't see it. That's Chachamim, they see it. The Gemara says this. Gemara Maseret Brachot, page 3a. It says, Tanya Amar Rabbi Yossi. It was Tanya Amar Rabbi Yossi said, Pam achat, aiti me'alech baderech. Once, I traveled on the road. V'nichnasti lechurva achat, mechurvot Yerushalayim li'itpalel. And I entered one of the ruins of Yerushalayim to pray. This is after Churban Bet HaMikdash. Ba'eliyahu anavi zachur letov. And the Awanavi, remembered for good, came to me. Veshamar al petach, ad shesiyamti tefilati. And he waited for me at the end of the ruin until I finished my prayer. Meaning he didn't interrupt him when he was prayer. Rabbi Yossi was at a, uh, one of these ruins. And he prayed over there. And he says, I saw the Awanavi. And he came, but he waited for me to finish praying. So far, we're good. Lachar shisiyamti tefilati, amar li shalom alecha rabbi. After I finished my prayer, Eliyahu Nabi said to me, peace be upon you, my teacher. Amarti lo, shalom alecha rabbi umori. Peace be upon you, my teacher and my master. Amar li, bni, bipni ma nichnasta, he says, my son, for what reason did you enter this ruin and place yourself in a state of danger? What danger? As we learned from Sunny a few weeks ago when he gave his chidush, three places that the Gemara says there's shedim, there's demons, one of them being in ruins, places of destruction. Place of destruction. So Yawanavi tells uh, tells uh, Rabbi Yossi, "What are you doing here? Why are you praying here? Don't you know you're putting yourself in danger? There's Shadim here. It's a ruin. It's destruction here. What are you doing here? Put yourself in danger." Amalti lo litpalel. I came here to pray. Amarli ayalecha litpalel baderech. He said to me, you should have prayed on the road and not entered the ruin. Like, why? You couldn't pray anywhere else. You are in the way anyway. You could have prayed somewhere else. Why are you praying here? I said, said to him, I did not pray on the road for I was afraid that passerbys might interrupt me. And he said to me, you should have prayed 
an abridged prayer, like a uh, shorter prayer. Shorter Shmonaisli. This is the story. This story for the average person that's just learning Gemara, or even above average person that's learning Gemara, you look at the story, you read the story, and you have no idea why the story is in here, Bichlam. This is the oral Torah. That means that Judaism in its entirety, part of its foundation is the story. Meaning anything that's mentioned in Gemara is not just mentioned just because it's nice. Oh yeah, why? You like the story? Yeah, good for you. No, that's not the reason why the story is here. It's when Rebbe Kadosh started writing the Oral Torah, he didn't write everything. Why? Because if he would write everything, the book would begin and never end. It would encompass the entire universe. So he minimized and he took certain things, much, much less than what it exists. Even the Gemara says, just the Gemara, the tractate of Avodah Zarah that Avraham Avinu had 4,000 years ago was bigger than our entire oral Torah today. All of it. Just his one tractate was bigger than all of our oral Torah of everything to put together. Like you can't compare. So when Rabbi Kadosh, Rabbi Yudan Asig, when he wrote the Mishnayot, he minimized. He minimized and he only included specific things. So why would you include the story, Ribbono Olam? Okay, so Rabbi Yossi wanted to pray. He went to pray at the Kotel. There's some ruins over there. He went to pray. Okay, Liyamonavi came, said, what are you doing? Uh, you should have prayed somewhere else. Okay, I should have prayed. I should not pray. Pray shorter. That's you couldn't say it in shorter. Like this, you, you actually spent, you invested several lines of the Gemara that all of Judaism is dependent on, on this story. Does this make any sense to anybody? Not until you're Chacham like the Ben Ishchai. When you're Chacham like the Ben Ishchai, you look at the words and you realize that a single word changes everything. Two words, different world. Three words, oh, Olam Abba. Every single word in the Torah is there for specific reasons. That's why people that learn real Rambam, really learn the Rambam, they don't just learn what he said. They learn how he said it. Why did he use the Aleph instead of the He? Because last time he used the A. Why did he use the Vav here, no Vav here? They, literally, they learned the Rambam that's after the Gemara by almost a thousand years. Not just what he said, but how he said it. Such was the wisdom of the Rambam. Even more so the Gemara. So the Ben Yishchai that looks at this Gemara and he says, look at this genius. Look at what's being said here. Look at the Chidush that he teaches us. It has to do with this Mishnah. He says, look, the whole story is relatively simple. Rabbi Yossi, he's on the road, he's traveling, and he needs to pray. And instead of praying exactly where he was, like most people would do, he decides to go into the ruins and pray over there. Eliyahu Navi comes to him and he says, why are you praying over here? Don't you know there's Shadim here? Don't you know it's dangerous for us? Don't you know it's dangerous? He says, no, I was afraid that passerbys, other people, would interfere with my prayer. So the Ben says, look at the words that Rabbi Yossi uses. When he tells the story, he says, he didn't just say, I went to pray once, and I prayed at the ruins, and the Yawanavi told me, don't pray here. No, 
He says, one time, I was traveling somewhere. What do I care if you're traveling or not? Like, what does that have to do with the story? Just tell me. You went to pray. The other one told you you shouldn't. You told him why you did. It finished. Well, the whole, the whole thing is one sentence. What do I, what does you traveling have anything to do with the story? Well, we have to minimize the words. Wisdom is told in less, in less content. So here, the Ben Yishchai says the Chidush. He says, look at how he gives us the Chidush. He says, Pa'am achat aiti me'alech baderech. One time I was traveling on the road. And later on, when he tells Eliyahu Navi, I didn't want people to interrupt me when I was praying. What kind of people? People that are passing by the road. Passing by the road. Wait a minute. You're traveling on the road and they're passing by? What's the difference? Why, aren't you, why, why are both of you traveling? Or why aren't you, both of you passing by? Why do you use me'alech on one end and for them use ovre? It's in essence the, the, the basic meaning is supposed to be you're both passing by. So the Ben Yishchai says when I when, when Rabbi Yossi when I go do something I think every single step that I take this is exactly where Hashem wants me to be. If He wanted me to be somewhere else, I would be there. Because He doesn't want me to be anywhere else, I'm here. With that knowledge being present here and not all the way in the back of our head, I know that every single move that I make is Ritzon Hashem. So every single move, every single step that I take, I think... Oh Hashem, I'm here. Why? I'm doing Ratzon Hashem. Yeah, but you're in a place that's not so good. No, no. What do you mean not good? Hashem wants me here. If He didn't want me here, I would be over there. But He wants me here, so I'm here. So I am taking advantage of the opportunity and I'm fulfilling Ratzon Hashem with every single step by thinking about the journey and not about the destination. Why? Because the journey is actually the destination. The journey is the destination. Every step that I take, I'm traveling. I'm traveling. So Eliyahu, I came over here because I'm not scared of Shadim or bad things. Why? Because I'm traveling and every step that I take, every move that I make is a mitzvah. And there's a law in the Torah, everyone that's doing mitzvot has protection. Someone, Gemara Masechet Shabbat says, if you're doing mitzvah, you have protection from Hashem. You're not going to get hurt. So even though... Even though this is a dangerous place, it's a dangerous people. It's a dangerous place for people not doing mitzvot. I'm doing mitzvah. How? Every step that I take, I know that's Hashem wants me to be here. Difficult, no difficult. Up, down, lose money, make money, get married, get this. Everything is a mitzvah. I am traveling. Now also at the same time, I'm traveling here because I'm afraid of the people that pass by. Why are people, why am I afraid of people that pass by? Because people that pass by, they're only worried about the destination. They're only worried about, listen, I can't do what Hashem wants until I have a big house. I can't do what Hashem wants until I get married. I can't do what Hashem wants until I have a lot of money. I can't do what Hashem, I'm all, once I get there, then I'll do it. Once I get there, then I'll be happy. Once I get there, then I'll be this. They're only worrying about the destination. So their entire journey is a waste. They have an opportunity to make a mitzvah every second they're alive. 
They're wasting the whole time. Why? They're thinking about the destination. The destination, the destination. Because they think that the destination is what Hashem wants from them instead of the journey itself. Instead of the journey itself. So they're just passing by, missing out on all these mitzvot. And since they don't even know what they're doing, they would see me praying and they would bother me. They would interfere because they don't realize that I'm doing a mitzvah. They think I'm like them. They think I'm just passing by too. So I want to stay away from them. I want to come here because I know here I have protection. Here I'm fulfilling mitzvot. And they're not in my way. Here Abutai, the Ben Yishchai, tells us something extraordinary. He tells us that if you treat your life like you're just passing by, you're worrying about the destination constantly. You're worrying about until you have money, until you get married, until you know this, until you finish all these books, until you do this, until you do that. In order to do Ritzon Hashem, you're missing out on entire life. You're missing out on happiness. You're missing out on everything in life. You're missing out on life. You're wasting your life. You're burning it. There's no point to your life. Why? You're worrying about a destination that you may never arrive to. If you're waiting to, to get to the end of the struggle... You're missing the opportunity that Hashem gave you. It's the struggle. Life is full of suffering. Make something out of it. Everyone suffers. Everyone suffers. The difference between a tzaddik and a rasha is that tzaddik knows that suffering is from Hashem. It's Hashem talking to you. He says, I want you to serve me through the suffering. I want you to serve me through the suffering. That's the journey I put you on. I signed off. What do you think? It just happened by itself? I want you to serve me under those conditions. Why? I want to see if you love me now. I want to see if you love me now. And that's what he says. That's what he says in the book of Deuteronomy. That's what he says in the entire Torah. The Ben Ishchai is trying to teach us what Rabbi Yossi was trying to tell us in a very, very simple story. We can read it a thousand times, but we're not Chachamim. We're never going to see what the Ben Ishchai says. That's why when you make fun of the Chachamim, the Gemara says you're a donkey. Why? Because you're reading it like it's the same word. Passing by, traveling, same thing for us. English, speaking, it doesn't make a difference. Pass by, travel, touch, we can read a thousand times, never get it. Why? We're not the Chachamim. We're not the Chachamim. But if we read what the Chachamim say, then we become Chachamim. If we read what the Chachamim say, then we become Chachamim. Then we see that a simple word, one word, one word changes your life. It doesn't change the sentence. It changes your life. Why? Because right now you realize, me sitting here, I have a little pain on the right side. You know what? That's Chetzon Hashem. That's the will of Hashem. It's a mitzvah for me to think about Hashem through my pain. It hurts me. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, I have pain. Why? Because Hashem wants me to have pain. Baruch Hashem. Your struggle becomes mitzvah. Your suffering becomes mitzvah. And little by little, you're not struggling the same way. You may struggle physically, but not emotionally. You may struggle financially, but not emotionally. You may struggle with a lot of things, but it never affects that pure neshama that Hashem instilled in you. Why? Because the neshama knows that's the journey. That's the point. That's why I'm here. I'm just here traveling. I'm not here to pass by to go to the end of my life. I'm not looking forward to the end. I'm looking forward to the journey. That's the point in life, Rabotai. That's the point. That's what the Ben Ishchai was saying. That's what Rabbi Yossi was saying. And that's exactly what these three Chachamim are saying. The Rambam, Rabbi Yonah, and the Sfat Emet. 
That's what they're saying. The Los Sotel. It doesn't contradict each other. He says, if, if you treat your life, you treat your life like it's a tr- you're traveling on a journey that every step, good or bad, is an opportunity to serve Hashem, good or bad is an opportunity to fulfill a mitzvah, then of course you're going to be happy with your share. If every step is a mitzvah, of course you're going to be generous. Why? You have so many mitzvot. You're going to say, come on, come to my house. Come, I'll share a mitzvah with you. What mitzvot? Your house has holes in it. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, I'll tell you about the holes. I'll tell you about the holes. Rabbi Susha. Rabbi Susha, Minapoli. People came to his house and say, what is this? Is a shock? What is this? And they see Rabbi Susha dancing with his kids. He has holes in his clothes, holes everywhere. Happiest guy in the world. Why? Let me tell you about the holes. Let me tell you about how much Hashem loves me through the holes. Let me tell you about the struggle. Give you chizuk. Give you chizuk through the struggle. Of course you're going to be happy with your shit. Of course you're going to be generous because you see that the material of this world is meaningless. You have so much spirituality, so much of Hashem. You're the richest guy in the world. You're the richest woman in the world. This, this money, it means nothing. Take all of it. It's complete garbage. I have Hashem. What do I care about this money? House, no house. What do I care about anything? I have a sham in my life. What can I care? What else can be good other than a sham? Once you have, once you understand, you're traveling. Of course, you're going to be happy with your share. Of course, you're going to be generous, and of course, you're going to be like the Sfatimet says. Of course, you're going to have a positive outlook. Why? That's your life. That's your life. Positive outlook. I have a sham. Yeah, but what about the Holocaust? A sham. What about the pogroms? Hashem. What about the Great Depression? Hashem. Your whole life is Hashem. That's Emunah. That is real Emunah, Rabotai. Emunah is not believing. No, no, it's going to be okay. Why? Why is it going to be okay? The guy's sick. He has cancer. The doctor says he's going to die in three weeks. Why are you saying it's going to be okay? You're a liar. Liar. He's dying in three weeks. Two weeks. Fidel tells me he goes to the hospice center. Everybody's religious. Why? They're all going to die. No, no single doctor goes in and says, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. They're all going to die. Why are you lying to them? The guy got into a car crash, lost his leg. You tell him, oh, it's going to be okay. How's it going to be okay? He lost his leg. You gave him a leg back? How's it going to be okay? How? How's it going to be okay? That's not emunah. Telling people it's going to be okay is a lie. It's a complete lie. Telling people it's going to be okay is a lie. It's not emunah. It's a lie. You know what's emunah? Tell them it is okay. Now, Right now it's okay. Where? But I just lost my leg. I just lost my head. I just lost my this. I, uh, I'm there. Yeah, right now it's okay. It's perfectly okay. Right now. Do the struggle. Everybody wants to sue you. Everybody hates you. Everybody this. Everybody. Right now it's perfectly okay. What do you mean it's okay? What do you mean it's okay? It's okay. It's great. It's wonderful. Why? It's the on Hashem. It's the will of Hashem. If this is what Hashem wants, how could it not be okay? If this is what Hashem wants, how could it be bad? You came to this world to serve Him, not you. So if He wants you to struggle, that's perfectly fine. That's you doing your job at least. Maybe you're going to get a salary too. If He wants you to struggle, what are you complaining about? Telling them it's going to be okay is a lie. Telling them it is okay. Telling her it is okay. That's the truth. Why? Because it really is okay. Because it really is okay. Of course, we could all pray for better times and less tests and so on and so forth. But let's not start it off with a lie and saying, no, this is not good. It's not true. It's good. 
Everything is good. Why? It's Ritzon Hashem. The king says it's good. He made it happen. Once you start living your life like it's a journey and stop worrying about the destination, then you can achieve emunah. Then you can achieve tzaddikut. Then you can become something. But until then, you're just going to struggle your whole life without ever knowing why. Because everybody's telling, no, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. They're all liars. You told me last year it's going to be okay. The guy did. Well, nothing was okay. No, it's okay. You just didn't realize it. It's okay. It's been okay. Of course, a person needs to know that when it comes to giving chizuk, they have to look at others like Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Berdichov and look at themselves like the Kotzke Rabbi. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Berdichov looked at everything as it was perfectly good. Even if he saw a Jew smoking on Shabbat, he tell me, you know what, Shabbat? Yeah. You know you're allowed to smoke on Shabbat? Yeah. He says, look Hashem, look how, much, look how great your kids are. He's, he's such a tzaddik, he's not even willing to lie. That's Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Berdichov. He looked at the positive of everything. When you go to people, you can't tell them, listen, listen, it's okay, the guy just lost his house. You have to know who you're talking to. You have to know who you're talking to. So everything I'm telling you is to do to yourself. Everything I'm telling you is to do to yourself. Only do this with other people if you're in a position of doing it to other people, telling it to other people. First start with yourself. Don't tell anybody else, no, it's okay now, you're just struggling, but it's okay now. Because you cannot feel the pain of another person. So first start with yourself. First say to yourself, it's okay. Yeah, but you're struggling. Yeah, I know it's okay. Start with yourself. Other people, tell them, listen, it's going to be okay. Why? Because they may not understand what you're trying to tell them. And also, they may not believe you because they know that you're not doing it yourself sometimes. So it's important for a person to know. You want people to do tshuva? Start doing tshuva yourself. You want to be a, You want people to be tzaddikim? Become a tzaddik yourself. That's the secret. Be what you want others to be. You want other people to be happy? Start with being happy yourself. And the key here is to start with emit. Start by telling yourself the truth. It's not necessarily going to be okay. It's already okay. Live your life as if the whole thing is a journey. Not just worrying about the destination. By taking advantage of the opportunities you have day to day. Hashem gives you struggles whatever they may be. If He gave them to you, number one, He knows you could overcome them, and number two, it must be good. It must be good. Why? He's the ultimate good. If He wanted to give you bad, there's a much better place that's designed for bad. It's called Genom. We'll talk about it next week. For now, we'll focus on Gan Eden. But that Gan Eden is in this world. By simply changing our mindset to understand Everything is good, but really, it really is good if you understand that sometimes that good comes in the form of struggle. But if you treat every step of that struggle as a mitzvah, because it's Ratzon Hashem, it really is good. And then your life changes. Any questions? Same price. What are you guys 
Want to go to the Ganom section now? <laughs> I got you guys uplifted today, but you're in shock. You're used to me just giving you on the head. Yeah, once in a while there's some good things. You need to be my psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. We'll try next week. So it's a different price. Different price. <laughs> no. Meaning of the word? Yeah. Uh, one of the oh. commentaries that I know, it comes from the word bolea. Bolea is swallow. He wanted to swallow the whole world. Not to swallow. He wanted. He was. Uh, his whole life was full of desire and, and uh, fulfilling his desire. It's like a person that you know eats and never stops. Just want things about eating more and more and more and more. It's one of the uh, uh, things. So that's one of the places. What else? You had a question, and then you ran away. Where you go? To the bathroom. Uh, the difference between Rabbeinu Tam and uh, Tfilin and uh, Rashi Tfilin is the order of the uh, parashot. There's a, uh, they both use the same words, same verses in the uh, Torah, same paragraphs in the Torah. But the uh, Rashi and his uh, grandson uh, Rabbeinu Tam disagreed on the order. One says this paragraph should be first, the other one says this paragraph should be second. They disagreed on it. Uh, there's some very unusual stories in Midrashim about that story. I think, if I'm thinking about it, apparently Hashem wants me to say it. Um, take it for what it's worth. I don't know what it means, but take it for what it's worth. Um, when Rabbeinu Tam and Rashi were debating about the tefillin, Rashi said, you're wrong. Rabbeinu Tam said, you're wrong. And uh, the Chamim say, the story goes, that Rabbeinu Tam says, no way, you're 100% wrong. He says, yeah, but, uh, Rashi says, yeah, but we got this rule from Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, no, you didn't get it from Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's ask Moshe. Let's ask Moshe. They brought Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama. They brought Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama and said, Moshe, who's right? Moshe Rabbeinu says, Rashi is right. 